bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? What's going on in the world today? And come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet Radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. first impulse. If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, 
www.southern-sense.com and click on the icon for My Patreon Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. All right. Welcome back to another exciting adventure here on Blog Talk Radio. You're here listening to Southern Sense on Blog Talk Radio, SHRN Media, WCET out of Columbia, South Carolina, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most is the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, the clever Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. What a whacked-out day we got today. <laughs> hey, as always, I'm, I'm happy to be back as a co-host and as a listener. So um, we've got some good guests coming up this team, so I'm ready. Uh, yeah, we, we've got a lot of good people coming on up, and I'm just trying to get myself lined up here. Just bear with me. I'm a little behind today. I have to apologize. Uh, normally, I have, have my act together. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Before we go on air. But we've got ourselves some great guests today. Uh, we're going to be starting off with David Thomas Roberts. He is the founder of the 2X Monuments. What they're doing is for every monument that gets taken down, they're putting two more up. Uh, That's going to be a lot of fun talking to him about that. And then we have Tim Constantine. He is an author as well as he's got his own radio show. He's got a new book out called White Guys Are Okay Too. Um, He has the Capitol Hill show that comes out of Washington, D.C. with listeners all across the U.S. Um, He's going to be a blast to talk to. We've got also someone that just this past Tuesday won his primary. And he's coming out of the Florida District um, 19. I always want to say 14. 14 is AOC up in New York. Uh, this is out of District 19, down by you, uh, Curtis, in the um, Naples area, uh, southern oh, okay. southwest Florida, Byron Dan O'Donnells. I always want to say Daniels. Boy, am I really screwed up today. And then we're going to end the show again with the Heritage Foundation segment. And we're going to have Mike Gonzalez return. You remember him from the Heritage Allison Center for Foreign, Foreign Policy, try to say that three times fast, and the a- Angeles T. Arredondo E. Burris Boonum fellow. Boy, I cannot talk. Holy moly. I think I need a scotch or something. I'm more of a French guy. We've got so much to uh, talk about. So many things are going on. They just finished up that really uh, show-stopping, heart Robbing, you know, DNC convention. If anything, could any be more yawn-inspiring than the several days that we had to endure that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Oh, my goodness. And some of the crap that came out of it. We're going to be talking about that. There's so much that's on our plate today and so much to talk about. I want to welcome everyone that's listening over on Facebook as well as here on Blog Talk Radio in the chat room. Uh, also at WCET uh, Radio. Um, I have not pulled up the chat room on that one yet. <laughs> I keep on forgetting what my sign-in is. <laughs> I've got it on my laptop, which is in the living room, not in the studio. <laughs> Does me a lot of good, doesn't it? <laughs> but anyway, um, 
I guess that's what we got going on. And Curtis, we're also going to talk about that article you just had published in uh, the Republican Party of Palm Beach, their uh, newsletter. Uh, that one, I think, oh, is okay. really fascinating. I don't realize that you do contribute articles to different periodicals, and one being your local county Republican Party. So, oh yeah, I write to. So, I write for. I catch numerous um, journals um, throughout Florida and the East Coast. So yeah, we can talk about that. Oh man, so much, so much to go on. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> I'm looking at some of the comments in the chat room. <laughs> We've got nuts for listeners. Anyway, uh, oh, those somebody that, was uh, tardy. <laughs> yeah, where's your late slip there, Doc? <laughs> I'm anyway, um, those that listen to on our that show, mask. what's that? Put on that mask what? when you come to our class. <laughs> you anyway, know, school started listen. up here. School started up here in Putnam County, Florida, and of course, the kids are required to social distance and wear masks. So I don't know how long that's going to last. You know, kids like to, you know, frigid and remove things. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, there's so much more to talk about. But let me get through with the uh, dedication here, Curtis, because those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication from here, my home state now, South Carolina, it's going to go out to Corporal Andrew J. Gillette, of Sumter County Sheriff's Office here in South Carolina. His end of watch was Tuesday, February 25th of this year. And this first part is coming out of the Daily Mail. And it reads, A police officer has been shot and killed while serving an eviction notice at a home in South Carolina. Sheriff Deputy Corporal Andrew Gillette, 37, died Tuesday, February 25th, 2020, in the morning following an exchange of gunfire at the residence in the town of Dalzell. Gillette, who was a U.S. Air Force veteran, was accompanied by several other officers to serve the notice at the property leased by Terry Hasty, 56. Authorities say Hasty began shooting at them with a bullet hitting Gillette right in the chest. The other officers fired back, hitting Hasty, who died at the scene. According to WIS News, Gillette was wearing a bulletproof vest when he was shot. He was rushed to a nearby hospital, but died from his injuries. ABC Columbia recorded officers near the scene of the incident, closing off nearby roads in their squad cars. The officer had been a full-time deputy with the Sumter County Sheriff's Office for six years. Prior to that, he was a reserve officer with the agency for three years. According to a posting in the Sumter County Sheriff's Office Facebook page, Gillette joined the force after he retired medically from the Air Force after a 12-year career. A native of California, Gillette hailed from a policing family. Two of his great-grandfathers worked as police officers, while both his uncle and his cousin are employed with the LAPD. Sheriff Anthony Dennis paid tribute to Gillette in a press, pre- press conference on that Tuesday afternoon. He stated, 
everyone here loved him. He always had a smile on his face, and he loved what he did, serve and protect. And this is from theitem.com by Kayla Green. Two tables at cut-rate soda fountain and drugstore are always reserved for law enforcement. But since Tuesday, February 25th, one table has been set aside for a regular who won't be returning. Cut Rate Springs, small town Sumter. Amid redevelopment and new restaurants, its red vinyl chairs and counter stools are filled every lunch rush. Customers only recently started paying at their table, previously having to cash out at the same counter that rings up snacks, prescriptions, shampoo, medical supplies, and homemade chicken soup salad chicken salad by the pound. Regulars are integral. You can't walk in without seeing someone, usually more than one table, you know. I love coming to work here and seeing everyone. It's like a family here, said Leslie Benhelli, a server. She's only been working here for six months, but knows most of the regulars' names and orders. Andrew Gillette ate at cut rate once or twice a week. His order a hamburger, unless a daily special was more enticing. It often was. He would always drink a lemonade, said Jim Talon, co-owner of Cut Rate. Gillette spent his days serving civil papers for the Sumter County Sheriff's Office. Talon himself, a 25-year Lee County Sheriff's deputy who has been shot twice in the line of duty, hated serving papers. His friend, Gillette, loved it. Gillette, Talon said, talked last week about how he had already served more than 100 in February. Gillette's lemonade sat waiting for him at one of the reserved tables Thursday. Instead of the 36-year-old sitting there himself, his, son, his official Sumter County Sheriff's Office photo sat framed on the table next to the styrofoam cup and one last check with no food order or bill. It was inscribed, Thank you for your service. Punctuated with two underlines, two exclamation points, and a heart next to the words. Cut, rate, crew. Tuesday went so bad for Talon that he can't remember all the details. I was sitting right here at this table, he said. His restaurant manager, Todd Touchberry, got a call. He told a server. The server told Talon. A deputy had been shot and killed but they didn't know who it was. Talon called his son, who works at SLED. When he said it was someone who was serving a warrant, he said, it hit me hard. Gillette was a corporal who served in the U.S. Air Force at Shaw Air Force Base before working as a deputy for the last seven years. He loved antique trains and collected big sets. Lieutenant Petrino Wiley said Gillette was shot in the chest when he attempted to serve an eviction notice at a home in Dalzell. It was, if an entity needs a paper served, there were about seven deputies in Sumter County who could do so. The rest of the 22-person civil process division at the sheriff's office courtroom security, according to Sheriff Anthony Dennis, and the city police department does not serve papers according to constitutional law in South Carolina. The job entails dealing with sensitive situations, family court, evictions, court orders, tax delinquency, child support, 
and private service of papers for other agencies and attorney offices all through the sheriff's office. Usually, the situation remains calm or is de-escalated fast. Sometimes only one deputy goes to a call. Usually it's two, and on Tuesday, Gillette was one of three. They did not think Terry Hasty would be at the residence on Thomas Sumter Highway. Dennis said the division has served him multiple times in the last two years or so. In his effort to stay at home, he lost in a delinquent tax sale. A summons and complaint must be served to the person. That had already happened. An execution doesn't require an in-person interaction, which was the presumption on that day, because refusing to leave in the face of an eviction execution is cause for arrest. Dennis said they had still... They still had three deputies go because of the length of the case. A judge recently ruled the homeowner was the rightful owner and that Hasty needed to move out. Dennis said his wife did leave Dora when Gillette and the others showed up to move his belongings out. Last year, the sheriff's office served 7,227 civil papers, including 468 evictions. Despite throwing himself into a stressful situation surrounded by people, Likely not pleased to see him, Gillette was just a really good guy. He was the fourth person Major Alan Daly hired at the sheriff's office, bringing him on two months after Daly was promoted to his current position as commander of administration. Updating Gillette's personnel file the next day, Wednesday, was really hard. It was the first non-medical death of a hire he has faced. I don't think I ever saw him mad, he said. As Daly spoke, law enforcement, first responders, and firefighters lined the overpass above exit 119 in Clarendon County. Members of the Sumter Police Department, Sumter Fire Department, and Sumter County EMS waited at the funeral home. A C-130, an Air Force aircraft, coincidentally flew overhead as a police escort accompanied Gillette's body from Charleston after the autopsy. At the same time, back at cut rate, a flower arrangement provided by Rose Martise now sat on the table, sharing space with Gillette's lemonade. Today's show is dedicated to Corporal Andrew J. Gillette. It is also dedicated to all of the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency medical service. We also dedicate this show to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into its future, to our active duty and to our veterans, and to those who have fallen in service to this nation. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one. people 
freedom has never been free. Now my door's always open to dreamers and And we are back. Welcome back to another exciting adventure here on Southern Sense again. You can find us on Log Talk Radio, SHR Media, WCET Radio out of Columbia, South Carolina, up in iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, what the heck. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, Southern com. Of course, I'm your hostess with, the, with no ability to speak. <laughs> oh, I almost made it through that without screwing it up. 
man, Andy, the radio chicken, along with Mike Courageous Curtis, hanging out going, oh, my God, she's lost her mind. Hey, today is Friday. Uh, <laughs> thank God it's Friday. Hey, wait a minute. It's always Friday when we're on the air. <laughs> yeah, you got a point there. Uh, <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, what else can I mess up? Oh, geez. Got a wet dream I could mess up? I probably. <laughs> anyway. Mm. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. You know, Kurt. I got to brag on you because, you know, you are a quite a talented writer and you, what people don't realize, you have a way when you put words onto paper to get directly to the heart of the matter. And this article you wrote for the Republican Party of Palm Beach County is titled In Dangerous Times. And um, man, you you talk about the indoctrination that we're getting uh, for so many different outlets. And we just, we just, Kowtow to it. I mean, we just bend over. You know, where is our spine? Where is the push to push back at, at, on any of the crap that they are forcing us to do? The muzzling with the masks. Matter of fact, my own county council, I sent a resolution over to them from my Tea Party group uh, protesting mm-hmm. the mandate of masks and, excuse me, specifying my reasons for it. Um, with the violation of the HIPAA Act, of the uh, Americans with Disability Act, um, about the medical uh, uh, stress and strain that places on people such as myself. You know, I go into respiratory distress wearing the mask directly over my nose and face. Um, Matter of fact, it had gotten so bad that I was ending up with staph infections on my skin, around my mouth and nose. Uh, People do have health consequences of wearing a mask. I mean, I now use a shield, but still even that is odious because the shields are not perfectly clear. You can't read. Uh, everything is hazy. You know, so, and even if you are and you're under a stressful situation, you start to fog it up. And it's bad enough I fog up my eyeglasses every time I open you know, the, the freezer or something. But, you know, now you have stupid masks that you're out there. And when you go to turn your head, you knock it. You go to bend over to do something, it slips off. You know, it, it's got to stop. This, this so mandate. What was their response? What, do we, what, do we what was their response to your inquiry? I had only one council member respond, and it was positive. Only one. Isn't that that bad? Wow. That is pretty bad. And, I mean, and my the own thing is, uh, himself did not address me. My, the one that represents me did not even address it. Wow. I have no problem with people wearing it, you know, if they choose to. But yeah, it should be I voluntary. the same respect if I choose not to because, like we all know, most of us, uh, we live in America, and this is not only the land of opportunities but choices. You know, we have rights, and I think anything that they do as far as um, – Mandates and things should be predicated first on whether or not it violates our rights. And if it does, then they need to modify that. But in all things, they should respect our rights. And and the way it is now, if you choose not to wear the mask, others look down on you as though you're some kind of, like, nonconformist or some alien or something like that. And... And and some people even come up to you and, and and try to shame you or make you feel guilty. And that's not the America 
I remember growing up and you know, I don't remember going through this in in any other pandemic that, that we encountered before. Wasn't even mentioned shutting down the country. But you today, know, I haven't had anyone I haven't had anyone uh, challenge me yet. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn around and go, um, can I have your name and address? Because I'm going to file a complaint against you for violating the HIPAA Act and the Americans with Disability Act, which means that you can face up to 10 years in federal prison unless you get out of my effing face. How's that sound? I'm all for it. What to- <laughs> I thought I scared you for a <laughs> It's almost like harassment, you know? It is harassment. It is. It is. And I, I mentioned to the one council member um, what I've, I've seen. Someone had sent me a mime, and it was a sticker that was on a store window. And it looked like one of those warning signs that, you know, mask mandate, blah, blah, blah. But the way it was worded, and I, I got to find that. I gotta, really do have to find it because I want to duplicate it. I want to have it printed up, and I want to give it to businesses to put in their window because it was really very clever the way they, they worded it. And I know I'm going to mess it up in a heartbeat, but it basically said, you know, we welcome your business. And if you walk in without a mask, understand, we will automatically understand you have an underlying medical condition that prevents you from doing it. We welcome your business. How's that sound? Yeah. What, what hey, if I like it. Just turn around and put this up there and say, we welcome your business. However, if you walk in without a mask under this declared mask mandate, we understand you have an underlying medical condition and welcome your business. I, I think, I I would think like I'm going to get those up and uh, passed around to various businesses. Because I, I've been told by several different businesses and medical facilities that unless you are wearing a face covering, they will not serve you. They will not allow you on the premise. Now, wait a minute. I was listening to Mark Levin the other night, and I had to stop and go, oh, my goodness. i got to find out where he's got this information because I, I didn't have time to look it up myself. But according to um, medical authorities, and I, I don't know who he was quoting, but he had mentioned it was not the CDC, but it was some other uh, official facility that tracks uh, the COVID. And whenever COVID invades an area, a neighborhood, a town, whatever. Once it reaches a 20% infection rate, it stops and it moves on. Once it hits that saturation point of 20% of the population, it does not increase. The only time it has increased above 25% is when you have some place like New York City. And at this point, they're saying he was saying that New York City has a near zero infection rate because it passed that 25%. And it has moved on. So, you know, I'm looking at the total number of deaths that are in my county alone. And I'm trying to think of how many people reside in my county. I know it's well above 20,000 in just my county. Total number of deaths, Curtis, and everyone's panicking, is 69. That's it. Yeah, you probably got three times as many dying from the common flu. That isn't even 100 cents. Yeah, and matter of fact, one of the local rags uh, sent me a headline. I guess I'm, I subscribe to it, the online uh, newspaper. 
And the headline on it was about the 69 deaths from COVID. That was their headline. So I shot back and I said, gee, this is really nice to know how many people have died from COVID. But why don't you also compare that to the number of people that have died from cancer, cardiac incidents, or even motor vehicle accidents? Or how about natural deaths have occurred in the county during the same time period? I got crickets. You think they would answer? I got crickets, Curtis. <laughs> it's not political enough. It doesn't fit the agenda. No, it doesn't fit and the agenda. And that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing about this COVID-19. It's, it's sort of a purpose, especially for the left, you know, to um, advance their agenda of getting rid of Donald Trump by by making it seem as though he is incompetent in handling this pandemic. And most people know it's not his fault. You know, they're trying to tie the the bad economy, and really the, the economy is recovering and would recover even faster if they would, you know, allow people to open up, reopen up their businesses. You know, there's a lot of businesses that are being forced to uh, remain closed, and there's no real reason, medical or scientific reason, for them to remain closed while the corporate stores are open, you know, so... It serves a purpose, and, and sadly, it's for all the wrong reasons. Exactly, exactly. Matter of fact, here in South Carolina, um, there's these two individuals that claim they are so medically compromised that the, the very thought of going to a polling place to vote would cause so many horrific things to happen to them. Well, there's a lawsuit going on, and these two individuals <laughs> somehow or other stepped on their own. <laughs> oh, I'm not even going to go there. Well, it turns out what's being presented in court, what this one individual said, that they're so traumatized and that they can't they even risk being exposed to the virus, that there's no way they can go to the polling place. So they're asking the state to make an exception to allow um, absentee voting and mail-in voting. In the state of South Carolina, it's required two separate individuals verify that that's your signature. Two witnesses must verify the fact you're filling out that ballot and you are the person that's signing it. Um, that's not hard to do, really, if you come to think about it. But they said, no, 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 that's, that is too much of a burden. I can't even risk being exposed to someone to sign and, and witness my ballot. I cannot even have that happen. Well, their Facebook pages kind of gave them away because they were out there in public and they posted pictures of themselves telling people, oh, I'm over here right now and I'm over there right now having this to eat and I'm hanging out with my friends over here, not wearing a mask. And in less than six feet of the other people that they're supposed to be hanging out with, not no safe distancing, no masks on, but they are, they are so medically compromised that they cannot go to a polling place. Now, I voted in the primary in person. When you walk in, you wear the mask or your face covering. Um, you are given hand sanitizer to make sure your hands are clean. You're, you don't have to bring your own. It's there for you to utilize for free. And if you don't have a mask, they had a box of masks for you. If you didn't have one, they'd hand it to you. 
and say, please put it on and please use the sanitizer. You go over and they have a box of dirty pens that they're cleaning and boxes and a box of clean pens that they had sanitized. So you pick up a clean pen and you sign in and they verify you are you because they look at your ID and your voter registration. And then they turn around, they point you, you're staying six feet away from everyone. Everyone is at six feet distance. They point you to the machine. They clean the machine before you vote. So the last person that voted, it gets cleaned after each and every person votes. And then you make your vote. And then they say, thank you very much. And if you want a sticker that says, I voted, they hand it to you on the way out. You are far safer in these polling places than you are in the local Wally Road. I've been saying this over and over again. When you think about it, you go to the grocery store, you go to the hardware store, you go to the the major super center like Walmart, Wally Roads as I call it, you get up to the cashier. There's less than three feet between you and the cashier, if there's three feet between you and the cashier. Often it's like maybe a foot and a half. You are handing them your card, which has not been cleaned or sanitized, and they're taking your card you know, or your cash. It's not been cleaned or sanitized. Even though you're both wearing your face coverings, you're less than six feet away, so there's no safe distancing. Yet you can go out there and shop and not follow all the CDC protocols, and that's safe, but it's not safe to vote where all the protocols are followed. And you go to the, the grocery store aisle, people are touching everything on the aisle. You, pick up, you get the grocery cart. Has anyone sanitized that grocery cart before you pick? I usually take an alcohol wipe and I wipe down the handles on my own cart. But no, they're not sanitized. The cards aren't sanitized. The items on the shelves, after someone touches it and puts it back or takes a look at it, after they touch it, it's not cleaned and sanitized. So you're touching everything someone else touched before you without it being sanitized. But somehow, a clean voting machine in a sanitary polling place is not safe. We we did all those things at the polling um that I worked at, um, social distancing, cleaning the machines, and things like that. But the only thing that was different, wearing masks was optional. And we had no problem, no problems, no complaints. And a lot of people would come up to the entrance and say, do we have to wear masks? I said, no, it's your choice to wear one. And they was like very relieved. <laughs> like, Wow can't believe it's a place we don't have to wear a mask. So it's, it's starting to get to a lot of people, you know, have, having to wear this everywhere they go. And um, there are pockets, you know, places where you don't have to. And I guess it's like, you know, being out in the desert and you you actually find an oasis and it just means so much. <laughs> and it seems that way with a lot of people, not you know, having to wear or having an option not to wear a mask. And um, well, I, I voting went on, there's some... been no complaint. Nobody got sick to date. No. Well, I, I got a comment from someone down in Australia, and he, I believe he has his own podcast that he sometimes posts on my page, Jack Alexander. He's down in Australia, and he's saying that in Australia they have a curfew. And if you break the curfew, he's saying that the cops are going to go after you and in some instances, it appears that some people were being shot at because they broke the curfew. Um, but they, they're saying that also the cops are waiting 
individuals wearing masks. Wow. Well, see, that's what, that's what the difference between a republic and a democracy is. We've got a set of laws, and our nation should be based upon those sets of laws, not on the majority rule. But instead, everyone keeps on saying we're a democracy. No, we are a republic. We are a union of states that form a republic. We may have uh, our elected officials being elected democratically, uh, but as long as we adhere to our constitution, we will remain a republic. But what they're trying to do, Curtis, is break our republic apart and destroy the constitution. And this has gone on in just about every urban city, and most of those, as you know, are Democrat in nature. They're the ones who are more punitive uh, when it comes to not wearing masks. Like down in Miami, um, Miami-Dade County, they're writing up to $500 um, tickets for those caught not wearing a mask in public. And it's just crazy. I try to tell people who are Democrats that live in those areas, you see how punitive your local government can be. Well, that's that ain't nothing compared to what it would be like if the whole country went that way, you know. They just don't seem to get it. Now, I, I foresee somewhere someone in Miami-Dade getting a little gumption up and maybe filing a class action lawsuit if they get one of those $500 tickets. You get together with every single person that got that $500 ticket, start a class action suit. If you're listening to me in the Miami-Dade County area and you got one of these tickets, I suggest you contact an attorney and see whether or not you can find other individuals that object to the mandatory mask outdoors where you don't need it, where the infection rate is near zero, unless you're putting your tongue down someone else's throat while you're out standing outside with someone infected. I don't see how you're going to get infected because there, you get a greater dispersal, not dispersal, the particles just break up easier. They do not survive outdoors. The ultraviolet sunlight does not make this virus survive outdoors. Ultraviolet is a cleaning light. It is one of the spectrums that the sun beams down on you. You're healthier outdoors than inside with recycled, recycled air. And how many people are crammed into whatever building you're in at the moment, whether it's the grocery store? The doctor's office, an apartment building, you're breathing recycled air that may have particles of the virus going through the system and recycling, and you're breathing it in. Now, hey, I'd rather be outside. I'm going to be healthier. You want to have the medical clinic outside? Oh, great. I'll put a tent up so I don't have the, the sun beating down and burning me to crisp. But hey, I'll go outside. I'll have you examining me outdoors. That's healthier than sitting in an office or a store with recycled dirty air. Hey, it didn't stop Antifa or BLM being outdoors, carrying on, being all up on each other. I ain't hear anybody, you know, report that they got sick or that there was, you know, a large outbreak because of their actions. So, um, I said, people need to wake up, you know, look at the facts and not look at this on an emotional level only. Exactly. Exactly. Now, talk about Antifa. Did you see that video that has gone absolutely viral of that poor guy that was trying to help that transgender woman that was being beat up and robbed 
He got out of his truck to help protect this woman. They pull, he puts her in the car, in the truck to protect her. They pull her out. They yank him out, beat the crap out of both of them. And the guy is now sitting on the ground. He's already been beat up. And out of nowhere, this guy wearing a security jersey comes around and kicks him and knocks him flat out. Did you see that? I saw a part of it. I didn't see the whole video, but I, I know about it. The whole video these, is these up people on the have internet. No regard for life. They have no regard no, for no. life, and they have no tolerance for those who don't agree with them. Lives Matter protests. And they dragged this poor guy out, identified as Adam Hanner, H-A-N-E-R. So just Google Adam Hanner, and you'll see the whole video. You know, the guy tries to leave. He gets back in the truck, and he's trying to leave. And they're chasing the truck down to the point where he, he got really rattled and nervous, and he ended up crashing his truck. This is when they yanked him out, and he's sitting on the ground begging for them to stop. So he's not doing it. He's not fighting. It. He's just sitting on the, the roadway, and out of nowhere, this guy comes around with a swing kick and boom, flat out. Well, the person who was wearing the security ended up working for the Portland Port Authority as a security officer. He's a civil servant, and he was wearing his you know, security jersey by the name of Marquise Love. He's also known as Keith Love. K-E-E-S-E, Keith Love or Marquise Love. And the police let him know that they have a warrant out for him and they want to arrest him, asking him to give himself up. And he goes out onto the social network and begs for mercy so that he doesn't get arrested. Yo, dude, you just assaulted a guy. A guy who was not threatening you. You knocked him out. You could have killed him. You did serious harm. Yeah. If you saw what this guy looked like, this poor guy, Adam, looked like afterwards. I, when you talk about a black eye, I mean black all around his eyes, complete black. But he's out there asking, um, oh, please, please, please. Oh, no, please don't arrest me. And see, that's what we got to do. We got to go after these people and and have them adjudicated for the crimes they committed Um and I think that's what the Justice Department was doing in the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, I read about Barr and them arresting quite a few people for um, their civil disobedience and antics um, over the last couple of months. They went after them and, and caught a whole lot oh, yeah. of them. And there, there oh, are well, more arrests coming. We're going to talk about that operation, or legend operation. But here, he put on, this guy yeah. put on his snapchat and he knows that he he hurt this kid so badly that he might have killed him because he puts on a quote might go to jail for murder tonight for a racist when all i did was fight him look up look it up on twitter and put money on my books and come see me when they say put money on my books means that he knows he's going to be arrested he he needs some money to make bail he's asking people to donate to him because he turned around and took an unarmed individual that was not hurting him, not fighting him, had his back to him. When he, this kid got kicked and knocked out, to the assailant. And this guy did a running roundhouse kick to the side of his head. If he hit him square on the temple, he would have killed this kid. 
but it was pretty damn co- close to the kid's temple. If you ever watch the video and see the kick, and it goes, hmm, oh, well, you know, I just might go to jail, so, you know, give me some money for bail. I may have killed this guy, but I'm going to make bail because you're going to donate money to me because I kicked a racist who wasn't, wasn't saying anything racist to the, kid, to the guy. He wasn't saying anything racist to anyone else. Matter of fact, he was trying to help save a transgender individual. If anything, they would say this kid's got a big heart. And boy, did he pay for it. If anything, this guy I thought they were supposed to be so tolerant, especially of people of other persuasions, you know. Absolutely. Where is the tolerance? And um, I'm trying to remember where I put it, but I took out an article, and I don't remember the name of this. Virginia State Senator, but it, she is the president pro tem of the Virginia Senate, the Virginia State Senate. She's not just a senator, but she is the president pro tem. And remember back in June uh, in Virginia, there was a statue that was pulled down and they decapitated the statue. And in the process of decapitating the statue, the head of the statue hit this other protester, uh, square on the head. Now, this guy got so badly injured that he's going to be permanently for the rest of his life disabled. He's in a rehab facility, and he may never leave it. That's how badly hurt this guy was. She was one of the ones that was helping. So Virginia police have turned around and said, well, we know who you are. We've got the names of 50 other individuals that helped pull this statue down and caused serious bodily injury to this individual as well as destruction to public property, you're going to jail. They are going to arrest a Virginia state senator. So they said, the police turned around to her and says, let's make this easy and do it with dignity. Turn yourself in. Let's see if she does. I, I'll have to find her name. I have it here in one of the stacks of papers. Oh, good for them. Because they need to arrest these people. We we cannot have anarchy in this country, or we will cease to be a country. I mean, we have we have a system in place to address all grievances, and doesn't call for you know hurting other people, destroying other people's property, and and things like that. So, like I said these folks are out here causing chaos. And they know exactly what they're doing. And they know why they're doing it. Exactly. Um, The USA Wire carried the story. Yeah, USA Wire carried the actual story that you can find over there. It's titled, Arrest Warrant Issued for Head of Virginia Senate. 13 others in a monument attack that resulted in critical injury, written by John Ransom. And the name of the Virginia State Senator is Louise Lucas. And, of course, she's a Democrat. She's the Senate pro tempore and has been charged with felony conspiracy and other charges in the incident, which she and other conspirators allegedly damaged a Confederate statue in Portsmouth that also resulted in serious injuries to a protester. The protester, Chris Green, was critically injured at the scene and is currently under care of a rehabilitation center with permanent injuries. Very interesting. But now you you got a Black Lives Matter protester, a state senator, uh, in a 
in a state with a Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. <laughs> now, she's the first black woman to serve in the Senate as pro tempore. And um, you got to remember, Northam was the one with the black face and the Ku Klux Klan robes the claim, where he claims it wasn't him. Not me, man. That can't possibly be me. No, I don't remember dressing up like that. <laughs> Virginia, you're messed up. Virginia used to be highly Republican. Virginia, where you have the most signers of the Declaration of Independence. You know, the, the cradle of our Constitution, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, and George Mason, all Virginians. And out of Virginia well, now, you have such a it just turned California so Republican. So so Oh man. I'm at a loss of words. <laughs> Absolutely a loss of words. But yeah. here you wanna get you wanna get pissed off. You really wanna get pissed off. Uh you can't, some of these things you really can't make up. You really, really can't make some of this stuff up. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Now, New York had such a wonderful, uh, secure response to COVID threat, the COVID pandemic. I mean, they, they did everything they could to prevent the spread, such as allowing the homeless to camp out in the subways after midnight and then not sanitize the subways when the commuters hit it in the daytime. Oh, no, that's such a great way to prevent spread of COVID. Oh, yeah, and then we take uh, patients with COVID and dump them into nursing homes that are ill-equipped to, number one, handle the virus, uh, or number two, even know what to do with the COVID patient and preventing the spread of the virus throughout the facility. So you have a record number of over 6,600, possibly even more, because they're not counting the number of people who died so you got, we know of 6,600 that died in nursing homes from the COVID virus, but how many of them last minute did they ship out of the nursing home because they had COVID, sent them to a hospital, and they died at the hospital? They're not counting them. They're, they're not part of that. So somehow or other, numbers got fudged in New York, but they did such a wonderful job to protect the elderly, our parents, our grandparents, our aunts, our uncles. And for some of those listening, our brothers and sisters, our spouses, oh, they, they really cared about the citizens of the state of New York. So Andrew Cuomo did such a wonderful job that he's bragging about it at the Democratic National Convention that was only held virtually, no one in person. But he's managed to pen a book, which is going to be released by Crown Publishing in, I believe, October, October 13th. And it's called wow. American Crisis. Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic. Oh, wow. Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, It's going to be the handbook. I heard about him patting himself on the back and and totally leaving out the fact that um, he forced a lot of um, senior citizen homes and and whatnot to take in these... um, Seniors with COVID, and he totally just, you know, forgot about that part of his um, leadership role. But I don't think he's going to fool too many people, not too many at all. 
No, uh, Fox News' Evie Fordham reported that uh, Cuomo mismanaged New York's coronavirus response. Tens of thousands in nursing homes unnecessarily died, and his arrogance spread the virus unnecessarily across the country. Democrats are now allowing him to lecture the rest of us. Trump campaign aide Andrew Clark tweeted after the governor's Democratic convention speech slamming the Trump administration's pandemic response. Some of the criticism has also come from Fox News senior meteorologist Janice Dean. Now, you got to remember, Janice Dean lost two of her in-laws to coronavirus. Uh, she wrote, they got sick and they couldn't take care of themselves or each other. And they were in separate assisted living facilities, hoping that we were going to get them together, she said. Then COVID-19 came in play and took the lives of both of them, both of her in-laws. I want answers, she wrote. I want accountability. Janice Dean weighed in on the book on Tuesday. Um, That's heartbreaking. You know, first off, you're elderly, and you get to the point where you can't take care of yourself. You're still with yours, but now you can't even be in the same senior facility to help each other out. Just give each other emotional comfort to know that you're within reach of each other. I mean, Lord, just even to hold hands to talk with each other. If anyone ever really has ever been in love and been with someone for a long time, the idea of being separated for any period of time is so onerous. It's so painful. I mean, I'm getting upset on this one because I I can understand the pain that Janice Dean feels on behalf of her in-laws and the loss that her, her husband has felt, she has felt, the kids have felt, it's, 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 it's heartbreaking. And I think about if I were to lose my husband, I mean, he goes to the doctor and if he's 15 minutes late getting home, I worry. I mean, I'm worrying just being separated from him for 15 more minutes than, than is necessary. Can you imagine 15 days, 15 months, and not even be in the same facility, to be in two separate facilities, and then to have both of them die from COVID because of what Andrew Cuomo has done. I don't know if I, if I could ever handle that. But before I start crying <laughs> and driving all of you nuts, <laughs> let's, let's get our guest in uh, up on the line. If I can get my little act here together, just bear with me as I... Okay, here we go. You want David? Okay, here we go. Let's push this live and bring on our guest who probably thinks that an absolute whack job Welcome onto the show, David Thomas Roberts of the Two Times Monument dot org. Good afternoon, David. How are you today? Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure. I was just talking just before you came on the air of the uh, senator in Virginia who has the arrest warrant out for herself uh, because she helped take down that statue whose head hit the the top of another protester's head and actually permanently. Uh, uh, handicapped him. Yeah, I, I've heard about that. That's that's uh, just all kinds of things like that happen across the country, isn't there? Yeah, and there's no rhyme or reason. Um, when you look at some of these statues that they've ripped down, that they've uh, desecrated and destroyed, it's not Confederate figures. You're finding out that you've got the Sacred Heart. Someone went actually into a church and desecrated the church and the statue. 
Um, you've got the statue of Jesus that has been decapitated. You know, they, they've just created religious symbols that has nothing to do with racism, nothing to do with the Confederacy. Um, abolitionists, they have taken down those statues. This is a person that fought to end slavery. It makes no rhyme or reason. It's just rampant destruction. Well, I don't know how rampant it is, but I will tell you this, that you know, he, he, Karl Marx has a famous you – know, he's the father of communism, and, and he had a statement that I think is apropos today. But he said that uh, people without heritage are easily persuaded, and so what we're seeing is, is really a Marxist um, cultural terrorism on our American heritage. And you know, we, it's this started. It really started in earnest in 2015 with the Dylan Roof murders in Charleston, South Carolina. But you know, at the time, I, it wasn't just me saying this, but many people were saying this. If you think it's going to stop with Confederate statues, <laughs> it won't. And of course, now they're doing everything from Jesus Christ to the Virgin Mary. We had a, a statue in Austin, Texas, of the classic blues guitarist Stevie Ray Vaughan got uh, defaced because they thought he was a colonist. I mean, some of it makes no – there's no rhyme or reason to it, but we've counted 284 statues that have been taken down since the George Floyd incident, um, and you know, most of those uh, – you would think that most of it's been the mobs, and the mobs have been a lot of it, but a lot of it is Democratic uh, mayors and city councils who have removed these in the middle of the night, and you know, we cannot find one incident, not a single incident in the country, even going back as far as 2015 – when there was ever a referendum or a vote put to the community, whether to remove these statues, to put it in different contexts, or to, to erect a different one with a different message next to it, for instance, in the Confederate in, in the situation with Confederate monuments, these have all been Democratic mayors, cities, councils, or the mobs doing this on their own. Well, you know, there's one thing I have to say though. Here in the state of South Carolina, where I live. A number of years ago, we did have an open debate because there is a monument to the Confederate soldier in our capital in Columbia, uh, and it's on the state grounds. Uh, they objected to the Confederate flag being flown over this monument. So after a lot of major public debate, and uh, finally the state legislator said, listen, we can't deny our heritage. We're not going to take down the Confederate monument. But what we are going to do is remove the Confederate flag. It was the battle flag for South Carolina. And we're going to put it into the museum, the Heritage Museum. When you come into Columbia, there's one major bridge coming from the south end of Columbia, uh, from South Carolina up into Columbia that I pass all the time when I go up there. And the flag does sit inside the museum. So we did have that debate. So the public can well, wait, have wait. that you had a, debate. You had a debate, but it wasn't voted on. Was there a public referendum? Did the, did the people of South Carolina vote to remove that and move it to a different location or not? I believe I don't think it so. went through the legislature. Yeah, I'm it wasn't put to the Mark people Sanford to vote was on. the governor at the time. I'm sorry? Yeah, it was Nikki Haley, right? Oh, Nikki Haley. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but did, did the people vote on it? And, and the answer is, as far as I know, no, they didn't, because that's that's the kind of thing that's been happening throughout the country. No, it wasn't a public re- uh, referendum, but I do right. know because my own state senator was discussing it on the floor. So it was done through our legislator, but it was not a public referendum. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about, that it's not gone through – none of these have gone through any public referendums. In fact – Harvard did a Harvard University did a poll with ABC about two months ago, 
and 68% of the country does not agree with removing monuments, even Confederate monuments. And that was a nationwide poll. So I, I think a lot of these state legislatures, city councils, so forth, they're afraid to put this to a public referendum because it probably wouldn't pass. And I, I probably would not. You know, we're, we're denying our heritage. But what we're also seeing is that, you know, it's, it, it's just wanton destruction for the sake of destruction. Uh, you've got World War I and World War II monuments. Spanish-American War monuments have been de- desecrated. You know, you wrote an excellent, excellent article uh, last month in Town Hall um, back on July 1st, which is the left's cultural terrorism in a new age of enlightenment. And, and there is no enlightenment when you look at what is being destroyed. <laughs> there isn't. There's no rhyme or reason to it. In the meantime... There's 17 – in fact, in that same op-ed, there, I think I mentioned there's 17 uh, monuments to communist leaders throughout America, which surprises a lot of people. The largest one is, is in Seattle. It's a 17-foot-tall, 15-ton statue of Vladimir Lenin, who's, who's singularly responsible for millions and millions of, of deaths in the Bolshevik Revolution. And yet the city of Fremont, the sub- suburb of Seattle, the city of Fremont on their website – uh, proudly says that the reason why they had, they keep that monument is because they recognize it as a piece of art and not for the statement that it makes. But you know, you, you would never get that same argument, for instance, of, of a Robert E. Lee statue that said, you know, that's a beautiful piece of art, so we need to leave it, uh, let it stand where it stands. So um, it's you know the, the the tolerant left is intolerant when it comes to. Um, uh, these issues, and you know, it's just uh, they're, it's it's happening everywhere. So we started this organization. We got we got tired of seeing this happening, and and we're linking. Uh, we have a 501c3. We have no paid employees, and we're linking donors with private landowners and artists, and we're recommissioning statues that have been torn down. We're trying to buy statues from cities that have taken them down and mothballed them, or trying to figure out what to do with them. And then we're going to put these on public land for, that with public access, excuse me, private land with public access. So that's the whole goal of, of uh, 2X Monuments or what we call twicethemonuments.org is to erect twice as many as they take down or destroy. You know, it's a monumental task, pun intended. <laughs> anyway, um, my own church was recently threatened by some of these leftists that want to destroy any, any reference to the confederacy uh because my church goes back to 17 i'm going to get this wrong 17 oh good lord it was pre-revolutionary um 1712 all right i just i don't know why i have major brain fog so it goes back to pre-revolutionary 1712 so we have uh revolutionary war heroes in there including two british soldiers uh we have confederate veterans in there we've got veterans from every conflict since our nation has been formed. So, of course, they wanted to come into our graveyard and remove the headstones to the Confederate soldiers. Can you believe that? To desecrate the graves. Yeah. And, for, you know, some of this is around this. You know, you this dovetails with the 1619 project that they're trying to push on schools. It also dovetails into the Marxist. You know, I, listen, um, what we're seeing it is now the, the the reaping of the harvest of 70 years of public liberal education. You know, when my kids were in elementary school, I'm 61, so when they were, you know, 15, 18 years ago when they were in elementary school, I was reading their history and civic books, uh, textbooks, and thinking, man, we're in trouble because this is not the same history that I learned. So I can't even imagine what it is today. 
But, um, you know, when you go to these college campuses and, and you ask a senior in college, you know, what the three branches of government are, and they can't tell you what the three branches of government are or know anything about American history, the objective was to destroy American exceptionalism, and I think that's what their goal is. Absolutely. Now, it's funny because in this article you wrote about uh, the public law 85-425, which is in 1958, uh, designating Confederate soldiers as state veterans, including granting survivors and dependents veterans benefits. So they recognized them as U.S. soldiers and veterans. Matter of fact, I'm I'm teasing in the back of my mind, uh, it was just a handful of years ago, the very last Confederate widow had passed away. Uh, she married the Confederate veteran when she was a young girl, and he was an old geezer, which is why she survived into uh, this this uh, century. But I find that very ironic. Well, I, it's it, you know when I tell people, I don't know if you've ever been to Arlington National Cemetery, but there's a whole section uh, in Arlington that's uh, it's filled with Confederate uh, Confederate dead and, and people, you know, so. You know, I, I always get a kick out of this. You know, you hear these politicians, especially talk about treason, that they committed treason, yet nobody was ever tried for treason. Um, you know, part of these statues was part of the healing process after the Civil War. Um, and, you know, so it's, again, this is this cultural enlightenment. Now, all of a sudden, today, these people, you know, are the arbiters of what the real history was. And and despite the fact that the generations that were involved at this time were the, the the generation directly after that that lived through these times who put these monuments up, somehow now they're smarter and they know more about history than the people that put them up. So it is that culture enlightenment that we're smarter than everybody else now and, and judging people by a different set of standards. Uh, for instance, when you're talking about you know the founding fathers, some of them having slaves. Um, you can't judge them by today's standards based on what was normal in 1776. So um, uh, it's just uh, it, it's uh, it's the whole thing's upside down. In it's uh, you know President Trump's executive order only protects federal monuments on federal land, and the vast vast majority of these um, these monuments are on state and city properties. And the number one statue out of the 284 that have been destroyed so far has been. Christopher Columbus. It's not even close. So Robert E. Lee's the second most um, monument that's been taken down, but uh, Christopher Columbus leads by a long way. Well, Robert, yeah. you know, I, you're right. Go ahead, for, I, I, would go, I would say for like 80 or 90 years they've been laying the groundwork for what we're seeing today, those on the left, through our you know, educational system, Hollywood, because every time a movie comes out in Hollywood, it's left-leaning. They always have um, capitalism in a bad light, like Wall Street. But anyway, to show how ignorant these folks are, they're even tearing down statues like um, Frederick Douglass. Now, what did he do? Yeah, the abolitionists, the abolitionists, right? Right, and tearing those statues yeah. down, or, or wanting to take the Lincoln statue down that was that was put up by freed slaves um, right. that was in Washington D.C. So some of it makes no sense. I think it's just a, it's an attempt Perfect. just to destroy everything um, and right. uh, turn the country upside down. Uh, and they're doing a good job of it. I mean, this is all coming up to an election. I mean, I, I you know a lot of this isn't you know it's not um, coincidence that you know we have an election this year while this is going on. So um, 
but it's it's been a it's been a crying shame. I mean, and even religious symbols are not, uh, you know, Virgin Mary. You know, the, they burned the Virgin Mary in Boston, uh, right. which is you know Boston's highly Catholic. I mean, it's probably the most pre- predominant religion in in Boston is Catholicism. So, um, but there's nothing sacred, and uh, it's destroy nope. everything. Now they're and, going and after the names. Yeah, now and they're I will going say after this the names too. Military bases. Yeah, World uh, World War II, the World War II uh, Memorial in D.C., the Vietnam Memorial. You know, I haven't seen this many places, but I know for a fact that was defaced and cleaned up. Um, but um, you know, part of this too is a lot of this too is if you haven't noticed it, the media, the media's portrayal of the South, and for those of us that live in the South, grew up in the South. Um, there is there is an attack on the South. I mean, they're trying to get rid of everything from the word Dixie to the ante, antebellum to you know you can't even you know a street name changing that you know Dixie Highway trying to change the Dixie Highway. I mean, you got to be kidding me. So this is all an attack on the South. You know, the South is pretty much Trump country, and um, so I, it's no coincidence. No, there's also they want to instill fear. Because they know that if if they count us down, they'll keep us away from the polls. Their message will be the primary message. It will no longer be ours. The silent majority is going to remain silent if we allow this to continue. We've got to find our voices, and we've got to get out there and make it known. And I've got to tell you, this is the first anyone's hearing this. Here in my own hometown here in South Carolina – we are going to be having Back the Blue with First Responders rally tomorrow. We've already had a posting on Facebook saying that someone's going to counter-protest uh, on behalf of Black Lives Matter. Uh, but we've already warned the local sheriff and uh, the local police, and we're going to be outside of those departments. So I'd like to see them try to bust us up. <laughs> we're just outside their front door. We do our rally. Well, you know, it, um, yeah, and we've seen, we've seen that here too. In, in fact, uh, here in Texas, we've had um, – uh, about a month and a half ago, they marched on. They were going to do something to the Alamo, and the, the San Antonio police did not respond quick enough, but armed citizens did. And I, I do think that um, they were there 30 minutes ahead of the police. They, they probably would have defaced or tried to destroy the Alamo. We've had that happen a couple of places here in Texas where we have, we're starting to have armed citizens show up. So if this continues, and, and one of the warnings I had is that you know you could have bloodshed for one of this from from this this stuff. If it continues to to go on here, and um, you know, I blame a lot of these cities um, because they're not protecting them. I think the final straw for me was when I saw those ropes attached to Andrew Jackson in front of the White House in Lafayette Park, and there's police standing there while these people are unsuccessfully trying to to rip down the Andrew Jackson statue before Trump uh, issued his order. And um, you know, but but that's a microcosm of what we've seen around the country for for mayors and city councils. Just uh, in some cases, um, you know, and just taking them down in a cowardly fashion in the middle of the night under the guise that they will, uh, they're they're preventing this kind of uh, event from happening instead of protecting them. Let's just take them out, and that way, and we'll mothball them and hope they never see the light of day. In Virginia Beach, Virginia, they took out three Confederate statues and have them in a wastewater treatment plant. If you know anything about how chemicals in a wastewater treatment plant interact with a bronze, you know, statue, it, it will destroy those statues very quickly. And and so it's not an accident. But we're, we're trying to buy these statues from the cities, and you should see some of the responses. Some of the cities don't even respond. 
some of them are like, uh, there's no doubt there's no intent for them to ever see the light of day again. Oh, that's a shame. That is an absolute shame. You know, I'll tell you one thing, though. At the rally tomorrow, I will be wearing my T-shirt that says, never underestimate a retired police officer, along with my NYPD hat. So I'd like to see that's them great. try to break the rally. <laughs> well, good and, luck with your rally tomorrow. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be successful. Oh, the, the funny thing is, is that you're right. The Law enforcement is slow to respond, but not everywhere. Fortunately, we have here in the county I live in, they are very, very proactive in protecting everything. Uh, but you have other areas where the cops' hands are at, literally tied, and they're told, yeah. hey, you know, as long as they, they don't stand, hurt stand someone. down orders, right? They're ordered to stand down. That's the hard part for the, these men and women out there in uniform. Because I face that situation at times where it's like, stand down. You can't, you can't. And it's, wait, people are getting hurt. You know, places are being yeah. destroyed. No, 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 no. Got to stand down. Got to stand down. It's not politically correct. And then comes right. the call to defund the cops. Yeah. So, you know, you're doing a fantastic job and you've got a huge, huge uphill battle. But it's the identity oh, we do, politics. We, that we're, we, we've got over a million dollars in commitments in three weeks. We got private landowners stepping up to to uh, put these on public display on, on their own properties, and uh, you know uh, however long it takes, we have no paid staff, and we've got donations, you know five dollar donations coming in and fifty thousand dollar donations coming in. We have artists standing by to recommission statues that have been destroyed. So, um, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get to a point where we're putting more up than they're taking down. It, it may take a while, but we'll get there. You know, it would be great to see some of the artwork these artists are, are doing if you put it up. People can find your website, so I make sure I get you out there, at 2xmonuments.org, 2xmonuments.org. So I'm also going to mention that you've got a book out there, A State of Treason. Tell us about that. Well, A State of Treason is, is – uh, I have a Patriot Series book, and, and it's a, these are political thrillers. Um, that, that uh, I've got actually have five books out there, and that's uh, State of Treason is in that Patriot series, and and so it's uh, you can read one of them without reading the other ones. They're, they they don't have to be pre-read, you know, in order. But um, it's uh, it's a book about liberty and the the God's uh, given right of self-determination of every one of us have the right to make a self-determination. So. Um, <clears throat> So I, you know, you can and that book is available on Amazon anywhere books are sold. Absolutely. And I do, you know, the, I the, do the, have a book coming out. I do have a book coming out uh, next month. It's uh, and I co-wrote it with uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, the famous, you know, America's toughest sheriff in Arizona, uh, who's been famous, you know, best buddy of Trump's and hard, uh, tough on immigration, the, the 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 pink underwear in jail and the tent city jails. Just an incredible American legend, and Ted Nugent wrote the uh, the forward for that, and that'll be out next month. And what's that titled? Uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, an American legend. Oh wow! You definitely have to send me a copy and have you come back on and and do an Absolutely. interview. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, we we'll get, we'll get we'll get the sheriff. Yeah, yeah, we can get the sheriff on. He's <laughs> he's retired now. Like that, David. <laughs> <laughs> And he's been a he's been a, just a delight, a pleasure to work with. And you know, it's, he's one of these figures that you know, it's like uh, you know, I'm fortunately in, in my life I've had a chance to meet Trump. I've, I've met Ronald Reagan, um, and I would put Sheriff Joe as one of these iconic uh, American figures who's, who's larger than life. And 
and it, it's just uh, the book is very intriguing. It, it goes uh, places. That we're going to break news with this book because there's going to be things that are are put in this book that uh, that that very few people know. And it, a lot of it links to you know all the stuff that's going on against Trump today with the General Flynn, all the uh, the deep state intelligence community. Uh, these are these. This was all tried and used on Sheriff Joe before they tried it on Trump. So, um, and, and Sheriff Joe is is uh, he, Trump is his hero. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to do. Yeah, he had one hellacious one after another lawsuits and, and threats of arrest and everything else. Meanwhile, his wife was very, very sick. He, that is a man w- with a spine of solid rod steel. Unbelievable what they've done to him. <laughs> it is. And, and, and when you read the book and you see the, 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 the breadth of the conspiracy against him, everything, you know, George Soros himself put $3 million in, in, in a sheriff's race to defeat him. Uh, La Raza, the ACLU. Um, I mean, it's just there's too many stories to. to it's just it's incredible, uh, and of course he's vilified over the Obama birth certificate. And and there's a whole chapter um, that we wrote in here. And again, there's going to be news that that, that that breaks in this. Um, it'll news. It'll be hitting news wires because there's things that Joe's going to release here that he's never released before. So um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's funny because um, someone had sent me the birth certificate and at one point my husband and I had a printing business and I was the graphic artist and I actually turned around and was able to manipulate that image pretty easily I mean they didn't even put the layers down it was so obvious and we're not going to even go <laughs> much further than that on the website <laughs> oh, well yeah, you know but, but few, few, few people know about Obama's uh, select service card um, and his passport and so uh you know, but but if you take the combination, the one-two punch of of his stance on illegal immigration, and um, uh, his uh, the investigation of the birth certificate and how that happened, I mean, he's been vilified. He was he was public enemy number one for the left, um, and especially uh, with Trump coming into office, and you know everybody looked at, at his solution for immigration because there was no such thing as a sanctuary city for him. And um, so everybody looked at him as, as you know, they, they poured millions and millions of dollars to get him out of the way. And even gone as far as a sham court case um, that they dropped on him two days before early voting uh, to get him defeated. So um, it's, a, it's, it's been an interesting ride for him, but he is uh, – he, he, he's, he's 80 years old and as spry as any 30-year-old I've ever met, critical thinker. And um, one of the most amazing persons I've ever met. Yeah, it, it's funny because you're looking at the tactics that they did to Sheriff Joe and what they're now doing to Trump. We had the arrest yesterday of Steve Bannon, and I saw that flash, and I said, no, this has got to be a joke. This has got, definitely has to be a joke. Because Steve Bannon had, until yesterday, a show up on Newsmax, and I think it was the one way to really take him down. And I said, wait a minute, I said, something, something stinks here. So I went online, did a little Googling. And it comes out of, oh, good Lord, the Southern District of New York. Yeah. I think yeah. there's something behind that. <laughs> yeah, no no mistake there. Same people are the same district in New York, the attorney, um, attorneys that are after Trump and his tax returns. So there you go. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, and then Andrew Cuomo has a book coming out October 13th about what a wonderful job he did with COVID-19. Yeah, thank yeah. you. something wrong in New York. <laughs> <laughs> but then, David, I've got a favorite saying. I may not have been born in the South, but I got here as soon as I could. <laughs> and someone tells me, you no longer have a New York dialect. You now have a Southern one. <laughs> so I'm working on it. <laughs> Oh man! But it, it, the, w- there's so much more to dwell into this on, on this identity politics on destroying the monuments. And as I said, it's it's a case of causing fear on our side. They want to intimidate us to the point of where we're no longer participating in social media. We're not uh, getting out there following shows that's on outlets such as Newsmax. They want us to hide so that they can then control the entire conversation. And we see that where Trump turned around and pardoned Susan B. Anthony on the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. And you hear the left screaming, what are you doing? It it, it has really gotten that bad where even Susan B. Anthony, who fought for the right of women to vote, is being defiled. Sure, because Trump did it. (laughs) You know, if, if Obama had done it, he'd have been praised, probably won a no, another Nobel Peace Prize, right? But Trump does it. And it's just like he, Trump is, you know, what do we say? If Trump could cure cancer tomorrow and he would still be uh, hated by them. So that, it's that Trump exactly. derangement syndrome that has no, that has, it, there's no rational behavior with this. None. No. And uh, thankfully now, um, Attorney General Barr is saying, that's it. I've had it. We're going to go after. And so far, he has made over 1,500 arrests, uh, 200 federal charges, uh, and 90 suspected killers through Operation Legend. So finally, you know, Trump and Barr said, enough is enough. Local law enforcement's not doing anything. It's time for us to go into these Democratic strongholds and take the law back. That's right. And and listen, don't be surprised. I mean, you heard a hint of this last week with a, a pardon for Edward Snowden, the NSA whistleblower. And, and now that I've gotten to, you know, pull back the covers on this intelligence community thing that was doing with Sheriff Joe, um, that could be the the October surprise of all October surprises. Because if Snowden, if Snowden was pardoned, I'll just tell you this: if Snowden was pardoned you start to see the dominoes start falling in the intelligence community, which means Brennan and Clapper uh, would be in leg irons. Um, and they, they do not want Snowden to be pardoned, and they do not want um, Snowden to be, uh, <clears throat> be able to disclose more than he already has. Um, now, there's going to be a lot of people on our side of the aisle that don't want him, that, that consider him a traitor, don't want him um, pardoned uh, because he went to Russia. But um, I, I guarantee you, uh, we want his information. And if Snowden gets pardoned, I, I think the the hammer falls on Clapper and Brennan. I, I definitely agree because the moment I heard that Trump was considering pardoning Snowden, the first thing I said to my husband is, "They want information from him because now between Durham and Barr, it's going to be big." And I, yeah, I, I, and that could go that could go all the way to the White House. Um, in, in, in the information that we're releasing in the book, there's connections to Holder. I mean, it's just you just 
you almost have to put up a crime board and see all the different how all the dots connect to see how this all worked. And, and it worked. It worked on what worked on Sheriff Joe. They're trying on on Donald Trump as as we speak. So, um, and, and let me tell you this: make no mistake, Trump's phones were tapped. Um, they're absolutely tapped. They tapped Sheriff Joe's phones. So um, they had a playbook for this. If you look up something called the Hammer, uh, which came out a couple of weeks ago uh, with uh, uh, General Flynn's attorney, uh, mentioned that in a, in a surprisingly. I mean, we'd, we'd already known about this, but it was mentioned a couple of times in her uh, in a press conference uh, about how they've been able to eavesdrop a wiretap using that hammer, which is unconstituted. By the way, the hammer is is a uh, is a supercomputer outside of. Port, Fort Washington, Maryland, that can decipher 10 million uh, password logins and, and uh, logins and passwords simultaneously per minute. Wow. 10 million per minute. So um, you're you're not safe from your own federal government. I mean, and listen, there's not there's when you see Roberts on the Supreme Court just irrationally vote for Obamacare in some of these things. They have information on everybody, and they use it to blackmail. And when this book comes out, this is this is I'm just giving you a pre-warning. When this book comes out, this is the kind of stuff that's going to make news because um, if you think about it, if you if you have information on people, um, and they're making irrational decisions or, or voting with things that don't align, would not seem to align with the principles, um, it should raise a red flag. And, and, and there's a well, reason why it's happening. Well, telecommunications is what you have. You have you're a CEO of a telecommunications company, so you would have the in on all of this. And it's funny because my co-host Curtis, who happens to be a Navy veteran, um, and I've met, said this to you many times, Curtis, that someone has something on John Roberts. I've said this for years that they're blackmailing him into voting the way he does. Because if you looked at his record prior to getting onto the Supreme Court, you would never think he would be voting the way he currently does. So I'm glad someone else is looking at the same way I am. It is, and and we'll go on. There's more in that in my book. I can't I can't tell you more than that now, but we'll come back and and uh, and discuss. It. And I'll actually have we'll have Sheriff Joe, and uh, he can tell your listeners what he knows because it's gonna it's gonna shock the world. Well, then just ask Bridget to make sure I get a copy of it. You know, I'll take electronic, but I like ones that are signed by the author. Oh, yeah. author. <laughs> we could do that, too. Because we are, we are video streaming live on Facebook, so if people look behind it, there's a bookcase that's crammed. Matter of fact, Trumpy Bear is sitting there on the uh, bookcase with Cops for Trump poster and a Trumpy hat <laughs> with all the books from all the authors over these last 10 years that I've interviewed. They're all up there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would love to get a copy of it. Dave, people can find you at 2xmonuments.org. Uh, is there anywhere else that they can find you at, too? Yeah, I'm, I'm very active on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Texas Author, at Texas Author. And I'm a David Thomas Roberts on Facebook. All right. And our, well, publish, our publishing has- company that you can go and see our other great conservative authors is defiancepress.com, defiancepress.com. Well, then I'm going to have to get some of those authors on the show here. So, you know, absolutely. what I'll try, try to do is uh, give you a shout and then see who we can work in. I always love to give authors, you know, good exposure. 
Well, we have some good ones. Well, I appreciate it very much. Good luck with your, your rally tomorrow. God bless, and uh, we'll just everybody keep up the fight. <laughs> All well, right. If you come back Take on care. next week, two black eyes, you'll know why. Thank you. Thanks, David. All right. David Thomas Roberts, check him out, 2xmonuments.org. Uh, welcome back to the show. I always love having him on, Tim Constantine. Good afternoon, Tim. How are you doing today? Hi there. How are you, my friend? It's good to talk with you. Oh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, too. I just got to get my notes in order here because I got to get David's stuff out of the way and pull yours up. Um, Curtis, my co-host, knows that <laughs> he's actually sat in the office uh, in the studio with me. I actually have a stack of about an inch and a half of notes on each and every uh, topic for today. <laughs> so I've got you. Now oh, I've got yeah. you here. You've got a new book that's also coming out, and I'm going to definitely have to get a copy of it from you. White Guys Are Okay, Too. And I read the title, and I started hysterically laughing because the premise of your book is, is that we should be looking at each other as unhyphenated Americans. And people of all races and colors and genders have done marvelous things for our nation and so many new advances. It really doesn't matter the color of the skin. It's the content of your brain. Absolutely. I, I said we're spending all this time on race, and really there's only one. That's the human race. You know, we all ought to be looking at each other saying, hey, nice job. You got an idea? Me too. We're uh, having fun with this. Oh, you have to. You have to. If you look at, at, at the advances we've made, you know, especially in technology today, it doesn't matter who you are. It's just what can you produce? And this is the way capitalism is supposed to work. What is it that you can produce to help our society? What do, are you offering us? And if you offer something good, we're willing to buy it. We're willing to pay for it. Absolutely. It's, you know, it was funny. It, it, over the last maybe five years or so, there have been – and it's a wide range of folks, There, but there's been – Criticism and the phrase, you know, old white men, old white men, old white men, as though they are bad. And we could certainly find examples of bad old white men, but there's plenty of good guys out there, too. And the last year, my son and I were sitting watching something on television. He's 16 years old. And they were, there was one of the pundits, one of the talking heads on one of the news channels, and they were being very critical of white men and how they were the greatest threat to society and I just laughed, and I looked at him, and I said, you know, white guys are okay, too. And then we both laughed, and I thought, wait a minute, I think we've actually got something here. And that was kind of the genesis of the book. We started putting things together, and, you know, when you look at business, I, I, the, I opened the chapter on business with Oprah Winfrey. And I said, you know, you've got this black woman who has been wildly successful in business after business after business. She is the single most successful woman in the history of the United States, business-wise, dollar-wise. And But there's some other guys that have done pretty good things, too. And we break that down, whether that's, you know, Steve Jobs and Apple and all the jobs that's created all over the planet. And so we, we try to break it down uh, and look at everybody. And there's, there's, you know, it doesn't matter what your pigment is. There's good people, there's bad people, and there's people in between. Well, you know, somebody says, well, if you're white, you have to be a racist. Uh, no, the racist doesn't, doesn't, it's not by skin color, it's by attitude. You know, we've seen black racists, we've seen Hispanic racists. La Raza is a racist group. Uh, the race right. is what it's called in English. Uh, but like you said, of all walks of life, there are good people and bad people. 
Well, it's well, the, the most important thing for me in here is we keep it lighthearted. We have fun with it. We uh, it's everything in the book is historical. You know, whether we're talking about Abraham Lincoln or Bill Gates or somebody in between, all historically accurate, but at the same time, it's lighthearted. And I don't, I don't know if you've seen a physical copy of the book, but I've I've got a great artist who's done caricatures of everyone, whether that's MLK or Mother Teresa or Albert Einstein. It just lightens the mood a little if you're looking at the cartoon version of Albert Einstein instead of some stoic historical photograph. And so we, we've tried to keep it light and keep it fun, even though it's historically accurate. It's really It was a great project to work on, really a fun book. The graphic of the cover of the book up on the screen so people watching at Facebook Live could see it. And it will get uploaded later on to uh, YouTube, so people can hit the YouTube and look at the uh, the book cover too, because uh, it is it really is very very lighthearted. Um, you got Eddie Murphy there, you've got Martin Luther King. I mean, it's 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 something that you would want to have young kids today read, understand that they're being brainwashed, and maybe there's another truth out there. Yeah, it's it's there's so much that goes on. I open the book in the introduction. We talk about that five year window that, that where it's people like Don Lemon on CNN or Time Magazine or others talking how white guys are a terrible threat. And I just I, I thought, you know, it, Thomas Edison was not a terrible threat. He made things convenient for an awful lot of us on a day to day basis now. And so, you know, I just like, golly, uh, what if we did a historical perspective? I'm sorry about that. A historical perspective of everything, you know, of, of uh, throughout history, where people were, what they were, and pointed out that, that you know, it's something meaningless like uh, creating the donut or the potato chip or whether it's coming up with the electric light bulb. There are people of all races and genders that have contributed uh, cell phones. <laughs> what would people do about their phones today? <laughs> yeah, matter of fact, that was that our, our big one of Sunday. our big discussions when we were creating the caricatures. Is uh, Alexander Graham Bell is one of the people that's in the book, and we said, you know, do we want do I want him holding like a Nokia phone or something? You know, do I want do we want to have a little fun there where? And I think I think we actually picked something from like the 1940s where he's on a very delicate looking telephone. But, uh, you know, just trying to, to make sure that the message is delivered. But we have a little little fun, little little quirk along the way. Well, it's funny because people don't realize the very first woman that was a millionaire here in the United States was a black woman. And she made her millions on cosmetics. So, ladies, you know, what are you going to do with that? Your makeup? Right. It also gets me because I also, you know, a lot of people try to tell me, oh, offshore drilling is really, really bad, and then we should be getting off of petroleum, no more petroleum. And I says, well, what are you going to do if we eliminate no more drilling, no oil is taken out? How many products do you touch per day that influence your life that has petroleum in it? Uh, The wiring in your house? the cell phone, your makeup. I dare someone to name me something that does not have petroleum contributed to it, and you cannot name a single thing today from the package of seeds no, you plant in the ground to the food you eat. Yeah, you're, you're, you're 100% on the button, and it's just 
um, you know, if people have a good idea, hey, I'm worried that product X causes a problem, uh, then I'm all for trying to solve that problem, but you can't simply get rid of product X without any replacement for it. You know, and, and I mean, it's petroleum isn't causing cancer in each of us that picks up that piece of plastic every day. You know, it's, it's a, a, allegedly a longer-term concern. So if you want to fix it, great, come up with a better mousetrap. But it doesn't exist right now, and the idea that we're just going to magically fix it with a wave of the wand is, um, you know, Exactly that. It's magical thinking. Well, you you also have a broadcast show called the Capitol Hill Show, and I was looking at some of the guests that you you interviewed and go, oh yeah, I've I've talked to that person. I've talked to. That. Which of your guests on your show was the most fun? Um, boy, that's tough because we've had a, a wide variety. I would say. Um, um, the president's always an entertaining interview. You know, sometimes he says things that you can't possibly imagine that he would say. <laughs> and so that's good. Ted Nugent is a great interview because he has no filter. You know, he's he's articulate and well-spoken, but he says things that you think, I don't know, was that the best thing to say? And yet he does it in a, in a brilliant way. So he's entertaining. Um, Jesse Ventura, very entertaining guy, you know, former governor of Minnesota, but also a former professional wrestler, and just listening to that professional wrestler voice of his gets me excited. Uh, you know, gets gets me giddy listening to the things he says and trying to decide whether or not to take him seriously. So, a wide variety of folks. I think in the House and in the Senate right now, we have some folks who are pretty predictable, but some who are really colorful, really good interviews. I think Jim Jordan, the congressman from Ohio, part of the Freedom Caucus is always a good interview. The guy is better informed than anybody you'll ever meet in Washington, D.C. Wow, that's interesting. You know, I, I found it interesting that you started uh, doing radio at the age of 13, and I was trying to picture you because I read the description that you're this gawky kid with this radio voice, uh, and I really was getting a kick out of it. You know, one of the favorite people I had um, the pleasure of doing was Newt Gingrich. Um, we were doing a Tea Party rally in the county, and there was three different tea parties at the time, and he was running for president. And um, someone said, well, we're going to have Newt Gingrich down here as the three tea parties converge to do a rally. Um, we need your stage, because I run the tea party in Beaufort Tea Party here in South Carolina. I said, fine, I'll give you the stage, but you get me an interview with Newt Gingrich. So um, <laughs> the tea party meetings have three the leaders of the tea parties all met just before the rally and we were sitting down to eat. Uh, the restaurant opened up for us and the rally was out in the quad outside and Newt Gingrich comes in and everyone wants to shake his hand and meet. And he comes over and he actually sits down across from me and we start talking and it was amazing the knowledge of this man. But at the time project 21 uh, was not very well known and Myself and two other Tea Party leaders actually explained to him what Project 21 was. And after we did that and everyone was getting ready to go out to the rally, he sat down. It was supposed to be only like three or four minutes. He actually sat down with me for 15 minutes one-on-one, -on -one, and that was a lot of fun. And what made me even more happy is that I'm looking out the restaurant window. I see the rest of the news media is standing out there banging on the window <laughs> trying to get his attention to come out. And I go, nope, I've got an exclusive one-on-one. -on -one. And then he proceeded oh, to go out great. to rally on stage. 
But then my husband and I almost killed him because he didn't anchor the stage down properly. So as soon as he stepped on the ramp to go up the stage, everything started to tilt. And here we are. We're jumping on the opposite side and we're sitting on the stage to keep it in place. Otherwise, I would have killed him. <laughs> what oh, an event that was. beautiful. Gingrich is brilliant, too. He is fun to talk to because there's so much knowledge running around in that head that it's hard to fathom. Mm. He is. And he's tall. Good Lord, he is tall. I'm short. I'm only five foot three. But he, there was an article in the Patriot Journal about Newt Gingrich, and he actually has given three reasons why. I don't know if you've read this. Why it's going to be like 1972 and Biden is going to wilt and burn out like McGovern did. Have you read this at all? Because this is brilliant. I have not read that. Well, the three reasons why. The first one is the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden, is clearly incapable of functioning as president. I mean, all he has to do is say two sentences, and you know the guy's. He said Harris will prove to be the most disastrous vice presidential nominee since Tom Eagleton, a Democrat out of Missouri, who had to resign from the McGovern ticket. Um, right. There was a huge scandal about that when he had to step away. And then he said, finally, the depth of radicalism in the Biden-Harris platform and the Chuck Schumer-Nancy Pelosi legislative agenda became clear to the American people. They will be increasingly alienated from the new radical Democratic Party and its candidates. And you're actually seeing Democrats turn on the leadership in the party already, saying, you know, cut it out. Yeah, I, I took note the other night watching, I, I you know, kind of um, held my um, choke mechanism and, and watched as much as I could the last few nights. And the one thing I noticed is Wednesday night was ladies' night. You know, they were clearly uh, pandering for the female vote. But other than that, it was pretty much old white guys, ironically. I said, here's the party who a year ago was saying in the primary process – White men need not apply. We really want to look toward the future. We want women. We want minorities. We, but we're future, 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 future. And then literally everyone they put on stage was, you know, you had Chuck Schumer, who was first elected in 1981. You got Biden himself, who was first elected in 1972. You've got Bill Clinton, of course, who was, you know, had his first uh, allegations of sexual misconduct in the 1970s. Everything going on on that stage was looking back with the exception of AOC. You know, she did 60 seconds one night doing her introduction. And I, I jokingly said, I, I don't know whether that 60 seconds was because they didn't dare to let her go longer or because that's the attention span of her followers. I, I don't know which it is, but either way, <laughs> you know, it, it was just a, for a group that says they want change and they hate the status quo they had an awful lot of people on that stage that created the status quo. You know, it's funny because I love AOC ended up going, and I nominate Bernie Sanders. Not nominate, she <laughs> second the nomination for Bernie Sanders. And I, I nearly fell out of my Archie bunker chair. I just That was just too hysterical. Uh, I did try to watch it, and I had to keep a barf bag nearby also. <laughs> some of the stuff that was, cow, yeah. out, it was just too, too amazing. And a while back, I started hashtagging out some of the stupid things Democrats have been saying and doing with the hashtag DNC sucks. And 
I looked up on the first night of the convention. I started hashtagging again, and oh my God, some of my posts were starting to go viral with the TNC Chuck hashtag. <laughs> oh, it's uh, it's you know the enter the circus is in town. I mean, it is entertaining, but good lord, uh, I just think is really is this the best we can do? And apparently, they believe so. Well, I'm just glad it's over because that way it would have interfered with my NASCAR racing. <laughs> the only sport That's I right. was watching. Oh, wait a minute. They use Goodyear tires. we got a problem now with NASCAR. <laughs> that's right. We've got, I saw that the other night. I thought, oh, good Lord, that's not an easy one to solve either. I saw on the presidential limousine, okay, you can flip it over to Uniroyal in, in a heartbeat. But I don't think the uh, folks in Daytona that have arranged that contract are going to be so happy with Goodyear. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And of course, their the company response to it was even worse. You know, here you think we say, all right, fine. Um, instead of worrying about having something that says Black Lives Matter and not being able to wear Blue Lives Matter, why don't we just put down a company wide uniform policy? T shirts, if you wear them, have to be white or whatever, blue pants. Set up a uniform policy so no one is wearing anything with a logo or saying on it. And you're just handling company business, non-political company business. But no, they don't take that path. They just put more fire on the fire, not water on the fire. No, someone asked me the other day on this little book tour, and they said, do do you think that when we talk about the attack on conservatives, that they just take it. You know, they, they, conservatives in general do not complain, do not whine, go. They may go to the ballot box, but they don't whine on a day to day basis about some microaggression or perceived microaggression. So do you think they just take it? And I said, yes. Unfortunately, you know, then that allows more and more of it. I, I don't know what the alternative is because I don't want a group of whiners, but I, I think this is a perfect example where if you just stand by, then it's okay to have social feelings and express them at your job if they lean left and it's prohibited if you lean right and you you can't stand by and let those things go true and uh, i saw someone wearing a red hat very much like a maga hat and when i saw the front hat i i fell on the floor laughing it said it's just a red hat and <laughs> that's the whole thing it's perfectly fine to ride around with hillary uh, on your bumper sticker or Biden on the bumper sticker, but heaven forbid you've got Trump or MAGA because your car is going to be vandalized. Um, right. We had um, Curtis uh, Brain Fart, Karen, uh, Karen Barnett uh, was on. Uh, she wrote the book uh, Black and Conservative in the Age of Obama on. And she was yes, saying yes. the story uh, on our show last week that um, she had gone into the grocery store and when she came out, there was a security guard standing by her car. She says, is everything okay? Thinking that maybe her car was hit, damaged or something. He points to the Trump bumper sticker and he says, ma'am, did you put that on your car? Because she's black, (laughs) you assume she's black. Oh, that's a hoot. My my, my son actually showed me uh, some video, this is maybe three or four weeks ago, where during the rioting, during some of the rioting, people were going out and putting, they would see some of the rioters pull up in their vehicle near where the activities were going on and then would go and they would put Trump bumper stickers on that car. 
and other rioters would come along and damage the car. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, the, really? the, the, the clever the clever aspect of that was one thing, and the ignorance on the other end of it was just hard to hard to grasp. Wait a minute, that's my car. And uh, my co-host remind me, not Karen Barnett, Karen Watson, one of our other guests' last name was Barnett. Yeah, that's, that's the brain farts. When you get a little bit older like me, <laughs> you tend to confuse things. Thank you, Curtis. Like me. <laughs> we all have our moments. <laughs> oh yes, we do. Well, yes, we do. Yeah, so people can find you. Your, your 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 website and your book can all be found on. Oh, good lord! See, your show and your book can be found on your website. I get things a little bass backwards here. Uh, t- TimConstantine dot com. It's your name. Well, the dude yes, team, your name TimConstantine dot com. TimConstantine dot com, like Valentine or Turpentine or swine or any other I-N-E word. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of the center of our universe. If the show isn't carried in your city, the Capitol Hill show isn't in your city, you can track it down at timconstantine.com, and you can find the book, White Guys Are Okay Too, at timconstantine.com, or at Amazon or at Barnes & Nobles or wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> All right. I'm looking forward to uh, reading it. Uh, really, it sounds like a blast to read. Uh, one of these days, I'll get mine written. <laughs> ever. I'm starting to well, notes on it. Well, keep us posted when you do. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's going to be actually. It, it's it's going to be somewhat humorous. It's going to be called "In Life There Must Be Love and Laughter." And we have to. This is the problem we have in our society. We see today. There's no more love and laughter. It used to be we could laugh at each other, even if we were on opposite ends of the political spectrum. We we no longer right. laugh together. And and. No, this is what we need I, you know what's that. funny? I, I've got a I got a good friend out of Chicago, uh, and he is about my age. I'm in my fifties. He's in his fifties. He's black. He grew up in the city in a very different experience than me. He is liberal, and we disagree politically on almost everything, but we get along great, and we have great discussions. Occasionally, convince one another of something different, but you know, often don't. And yet, we always finish up in a great mood, and so. When this book, the, the book officially comes out on Tuesday, September 1. You can still order now, but it officially comes out the first of next week. And we were going to do a college tour this fall, simply entitled Black and White, and what? sit on college stages and have civil discussions about race relations in the United States and try to demonstrate. I said, I want to go to Berkeley first just so they'll set fire to the building, but uh, try to have civil <laughs> discussions you know, and show the students that, wait a minute, you don't have to agree on everything. You can still be good friends and have a good time, come from different backgrounds, learn something from each other, and then go out and have a beer afterwards. You know, it it does not have to be, oh, I hate you because you disagree with me. You know, not, none of us are ever going to get anywhere if we do that. Now, and you see the Trump mania, and you've got families uh, breaking up. You've got marriages breaking up because you're on opposite sides. Wait a minute. That's, 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 why don't we just sit down and have the conversation? And if we don't find right. an agreement, at least agree to disagree and move on. Simply move on. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. I've got neighbors around me that are you know, opposite ends of the political spectrum, but when I see them pull up in the driveway or walk in the dog, I'll go out and I'll chat with them. You know, you just understand you're on opposite sides, but you can still be friends and neighbors and family. There were guys that I went to college with, many guys that I went to – we had different ways of life. I had one roommate who I still, 
I get a text from every year teasing me about professional basketball. On Christmas Day, he will tease me about basketball. But we very, very different people. He would wake up and get stoned first thing every day of his life. I never touched the weed in my life. And yet, even though we made different choices, you know, 85% of the choices we made were the same. 85% of our values in life were the same. He's just a great guy. I, you know, I, 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 we only text a couple times a year. And yet, if I needed something tomorrow, I could pick up the phone and Clint would say, yeah, I'll be there and vice versa. And I think that's what it's all about is so what if, if he made some choices I didn't or I made choices he didn't. Who cares? He's a decent human being. And that's really the underlying theme of the book is most people are. So let's let's find that common ground and enjoy each other. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, it's going to be a ballot box revolution. That's the term I've coined it now. Ballot box revolution on November 3rd, because I think people generally are good. But when they see the way that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have made the Democratic Party so divisive, how they've deployed identity politics, especially when you listen to or watch the DNC <laughs> parade, <laughs> a clown show over the last few days, you realize that, you know, this is not what America truly is about. You know, our racial right. relations have never been so good as they are now. What we were 50 years ago and what we have now today is completely different. It used to be interracial couples. You very, very rarely saw it. Now this is so commonplace. And we don't even blink anymore because this is what we do. We finally come to a certain point where we agree on both sides. Identity politics. The Democrats will never retain power. Without that, they won't retain power. They've got to divide us in order to conquer us, which is what they're doing well. Oh, they do very well. And, you know, it's I, I just I think Obama mastered that. And now they have continued to try to do that. And it's it's a shame. I wish on the census, you know, 2020 is a census here. And I wish on the census they would simply count how many people were in my household, not the pigment of the skin of each person in there. You know, when, OK, you're uh, non-Hispanic white or, you know, you're there's eight categories or something on the little thing you're supposed to check off for the census. And I thought, why does that matter? Aren't we all Americans? Aren't we all supposed to be on the same team? And it would seem to me to be more beneficial. It would seem to me that everybody would get the same service if we just focused on one title, American. Well, you know, my friend Lloyd Marcus, who just recently passed away, coined the phrase when he went around with the Tea Party Express, when it was going around back in 2009 and 10, he used the phrase and wrote the song, Unhyphenated American. And if we look at ourselves as American first before anything else, well, you can say I'm Christian American, uh, then we have no problem. Just look at ourselves as American. But no, no, you got to make that division. And, and, and that's right. unfortunate. And it's being... It, we pander to it because it's politically correct and we don't want to make waves. And that's the difference between us and the left. We want to get on with our lives, take care of our family, you know, make a good living and just have fun. But instead, you got to divide and then you guilt us. And we take it. <laughs> we shouldn't be. Take it. We shouldn't how be. And it's time you. for us. How dare you? How, yeah, how dare you be born white and have white privilege? Excuse me. 
Uh, I don't recall asking the good Lord to have me born to those specific parents and have these specific traits. I don't recall that. Do you? No, and it's it's funny because I said, you know, we all hit the jackpot. We all hit the jackpot being born at this particular moment in time, regardless of whether you're male or female or what what your color or ethnicity. You were born in, in this particular moment in time in the United States of America. You hit the lotto. You know, you, you have more opportunity than any human being has ever had in the history of the planet, regardless of your background. And people that are complaining about that, I always ask, have you traveled around the world, any? And, you know, they'll, oh, it doesn't matter. Oppression is oppression. And I'm like, no, really, it's not the same. <laughs> you can do anything here. You can't do that everywhere else. I've lived all over. I've been all over Africa. I've been all over Asia. I've been throughout the Middle East. And there is no place like here. You know, God bless you. If you think you can do better somewhere else, feel free to go. But there is no place where you can do what you can do in the United States. No, I, I'm one who's traveled the world, too. I used to own a travel agency, one of the many things I've done. And I've had a machine gun shoved in my face while I was in an exclusive nightclub in Colombia. So, yeah, right. no. If you walk up towards one of the soldiers, that gun is going to be coming up and it's going to be in your face. You worried about police here in the United States? Travel somewhere else. And then really know right. what oppression really is. But, um, Tim, it's great talking to you. I'd love to have you back on again. And I want to get a copy of that book from you, too. Uh, so feel free. Um, you got my number. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, Absolutely. For- Thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. Well, God bless you for the hard work you do, and people really should tune into your show. Oh, what did you do? Oh. Curtis accidentally cut you off. Um, sorry about that, Curtis. That's the <laughs> other person in the studio is our next guest, Jim. <laughs> I didn't screw up this time, not me. But people can find you at your name, Kim. <laughs> Kim. <laughs> I can't even talk anymore. Oh, God, you got to say your name because I'm going to screw it up. <laughs> Oh, timconstantine.com or just, you know, go to amazon.com and look for, I think if you just put in the word white guys, then we pop up first, but (laughs) you white guys are okay too. Thank thank you so much. And God bless you for the hard work you did, Tim. Look forward to having you back. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, check it out, uh, his book. There's a link up on the show page, so just click on it. It's a lot better than my trying to talk. Anyway, our next guest I want to welcome on. Uh, he just won his primary in the 19th District of Florida. His name is Byron Donald. Good afternoon, Byron. How are you today? Congratulations. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, it is our pleasure. we got to start making uh, Florida not purple but make it red again. Well, you know, I think that's, that's the job. You got to understand we, as a state, we have a thousand people moving to Florida every day. Um, what you see is you have a lot of people who are escaping blue states. They escape high taxes or they escape bad regulation. Um, and so our job down here is to make sure that they don't bring their voting habits with them. Well, we have a saying here in South Carolina, we don't give a damn how you did it up north. And say, vote Byron Donald. How's that for a bumper sticker for you now for your campaign? That works. (laughs) That one works. 
<laughs> oh man, people can find your your campaign website. It's your name, byrondonalds.com, and make a contribution and help you with it. Um, you've got a lot of interesting uh, information up on your website. Now, you said you were born in Brooklyn. Where in Brooklyn, honestly? Uh, I was born, actually, specifically Kings County Hospital, um, East Flatbush. I was I grew up in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, uh, you know, Park Place between Troy and Schenectady, a little bit over by Utica Avenue and Eastern Parkway. That's where I grew up. Um, spent seven, most of my time in New York. That's the 7-7, seven, seven, right? The 7-7 seven, seven precinct. That's the 7-7 seven, yep. seven precinct, right? Oh, I know that yep. very well. Maybe a foot post up Utica Avenue or around there. Uh, man, oh, <laughs> I got I had my foot post up there as I was a rookie during my um, probation. So I had many foot posts okay. up there. Uh, I know the okay. area very, very well because I was assigned just on the other side of Flatbush to the 9-0. Um, yeah, very familiar with the okay, area. Okay, all right. So yeah. You, yeah, you know what it is to grow up uh, in the city that's, controlled by Democrats at the time you were probably after Giuliani or before so when I was a kid when I was young elementary school uh, Ed Koch was still mayor and then after Ed Koch David Dinkins became mayor so you know I lived um, maybe about five six blocks away from the Crown Heights riots when those happened uh, when David Mm -hmm. Dinkins was mayor Um, and then after David Dinkins he lasted one term then Giuliani became mayor and then um, I left New York in, ni- in 1996 after I graduated high school. I was there at the Crown, Heights, Crown Heights rights. I was one of the officers there. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about and the time it was. It was not an easy time for the city. And it was just no, starting. It it, so you, you know what it is, what hardship is. Uh, you know what the city life is and what is now happening. Uh, but you don't want that to come down to Florida. As you said, People are migrating down to Florida, and they're taking the politics with them. But we need to preserve what makes Florida unique to the rest of the nation. Um, one of the things you have, I'm looking at the endorsements. You've got endorsements from the NRA, Americans for Prosperity, the House Freedom Fund, Tea Party Express, the Republican Liberty Caucus, uh, Rand Paul, uh, Freedom Works, the Club for Growth, uh, Gun Owners of America. Oh, God, I love the Pratt's. Uh, you've got so many fantastic uh, endorsements. How did you manage that? Honestly, it was really just being a proven conservative. You know, my time, I got elected to the Florida legislature in 2016. And so in the legislature, you know, I worked on school choice issues. I worked on commerce issues, uh, worked on criminal justice uh, reform issues, but doing it from a conservative point of view, not like what the left has tried to do with, with bail reform that has really gone out of control, especially in places like my, my former home city of New York. Um, and then in the legislature a, a couple of years ago came through after the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting, it was on school safety. Um, in that bill, the legislature put red flag laws um, and uh, raising the age to buy shotguns and rifles in the state of Florida from 18 to 21. I oppose those bills. And I oppose them because red flag laws um, actually take away Fourth Amendment due process rights from law-abiding gun owners. And raising the age to buy a shotgun or a, or a rifle for people between the ages of 18 and 21 takes away their Second Amendment rights. And for me, even though there were, there were great things in that bill, I was like, you can't trade constitutional protection, protections just to get a good deal done, in my opinion. You don't trade the Constitution. It's not a bargaining chip. 
everything else can be bargained on, but our constitution is the bedrock is the bedrock of our republic. And so, you know, because of my my actions and in my stance against Republican leadership on on this school safety bill, uh, a lot of organizations when they looked at this congressional race down here and they got a chance to see my track record in the legislature and even my track record before that in the Tea Party movement, you know, they were like, listen, this guy is the proven conservative. We need to back him. And so that's how we were able to rack up all those endorsements. Absolutely. You know, the problem is that we have a lot of people running with actually no prior record, and they're just saying, I'm conservative. You have actually proven it. Um, one of the, some of the things you look at is uh, elder issues as well as criminal justice reform. Now, Trump has been doing a lot of great stuff with prison reform. What are some of the proposals you have put out there? Uh, so we actually did a couple things. One, we ran a bill, I ran a bill similar to what the president signed into law in Florida. Uh, we called it the Florida First Step Act. The purpose was to go in and start to revise um, uh, certain parts of probation where we would start to create lists of technical violations um, and start to make sure that the um, the, the fines or any additional time on probation was warranted. One of the things you see when you examine criminal justice is that depending on the probation officer and depending on who the DA is, some of the uh, the add-ons from technical violations can have been and can be excessive. Uh, the other thing we did is we tried to put in uh, a lot of programming and rewards for uh, people in prison actually getting um, licensing or taking the necessary classes to get uh, a career credential when they left prison. The purpose behind that is is that if you give a mild incentive to be able to um, to, to get a CDL license or to get um, a barbering license, you you, build, you develop those credit hours, those, that time of knowledge, then you're less likely to offend when you get out because you now have some skill in order to apply uh, uh, into the working world. And so those, those are some of the things that we were looking at because, listen, at the end of the day, you know, we have two sets of, of people who are in prison. We have the people that we're mad at. The people we're mad at are people who did something wrong, we're mad at them, but at some point they have to come back into America and be citizens again. Then you have the people you're afraid of. The people you're afraid of, the, the penalties have to be stiff, they have to be severe because they've proven through their actions that they can, frankly, not be trusted in society with the rest of, with the rest of Americans. And so, you know, I think the, one of the, things, the key things I've always believed in is the power of redemption in a person. And if you've demonstrated while in prison or on probation that you are really trying to turn over a new leaf, then we have to provide some ability for you to do that. And it's very difficult if you've been an inmate to actually go immaculate back into society if you have no training, you have no skills. And what's most likely is you're going to reoffend. And so to stop that pipeline, we try to make some adjustments in Florida law. Well, would you be putting Sorry. something together then, or have you put something together again where you have a public and private uh, cooperation on prison reform? Uh, groups like Kairos that comes from the local churches and ministers and helps the men get a foothold back in life. Well, I mean, that was going to be the next step. We weren't able to get the first pa the first bill passed that I talked about. Um, you, you know, we just couldn't get the agreement from uh, from certain from some members of House leadership. And so what we actually ended up doing was creating a data package so we could actually get real data on 
what actually happens uh, with prisoners as they've released, what are the, some of the things that they follow up to do, that they, they follow up and that they can do, excuse me. And so right now the state of Florida is going to go through that process of reviewing data, but I think that uh, some of the positive reforms in criminal justice are on the horizon in our state. Um, the, the one drawback, of, drawback for me about now going to Congress is I won't be around to see that happen, um, but I'm definitely going to be advocating for it uh, for Florida from Washington, and I have a lot of friends in the legislative process uh, that I know have have similar views like me when it comes to criminal justice. Yeah, this is C.S. Bennett. Hey, I appreciate what you and Mike Hill are doing for the state of Florida. As we all know, Florida is a pivotal state when it comes to the election. What challenges do you see us facing for the general elections, and can we overcome it? Um, well, I think, you know, it depends on the, the, the ways that I'm, most, I'm more focused on and concerned is really the president's reelection. I mean, in, in my specific congressional district here, uh, we're a very strong Republican seat. So, you know, I, we feel we're going to, you know, win our election here and be successful. But Southwest Florida is pivotal to the success of President Trump in Florida. And so, you know, our job is to make sure that we're working incredibly hard on the ground to turn out Republican votes for the president. I think that's that's the number one thing that I think about right now and I'm concerned about right now. I think some. I think there's there's some threats and there's really some opportunities. Uh, some of the threats are, you know, there are are there are there Republicans who who are more concerned about um, tweets and more concerned about how they perceive response to coronavirus, what media says versus what the president has actually done, and the successes that he has actually had. I think the opportunities are from are from actually minority voters and independents who are watching, you know, frankly, the Democrats turned a blind eye to so many things that their side supports, like the anarchy that's happening in our streets, like, um, like um, you know, frankly, members of Congress actually going out and raising money to post bail for some of these rioters and looters. Um, these are things that Americans, whether they're black Americans uh, Hispanic Americans or white Americans who happen to be Democrats, they're watching this as well. And so there's, I know I've had personal conversations with colleagues of mine from high school and from college. I mean, they're Democrats, they're black, but they don't like what they see. They don't like this. Um, and I think we have a, a real opportunity for independents and for minority voters to explain to them, but basically be like, listen, stop worrying about tweets. Let's worry about policy. Like what actually matters in your life? Because if you compare policy and what matters in your life you need Donald Trump to be president again, because even if you look at Joe Biden's platform, his platform is really out of the left. This is the AOC Bernie Sanders platform. That is not going to be the best combinations of policies to lead our nation forward. You know, I have a friend of mine, Leon Wynn, that's tried to run for Congress a few times, but now uh, he's on the executive uh, committee with the uh, South Carolina GOP. And uh, he once told me a story that, he went into an NAACP meeting, and he went to speak to them, and he goes, I want to ask you five questions. If you say yes to all five questions, you should be a Republican. And he went down the list. Uh, do you believe in earning your own living and not paying someone else to sit home and not work? And raise their hand, of course. 
uh, do you believe in the sanctity of the marriage? And of course, they all raise their hand. Yes. Uh, and he goes down the list. And he goes, thank you. You are now officially a Republican. We have a whole section of our society that say that they are Democrat, as you say. But when they see that all of the moral fabric of our nation is being torn apart, um, they're starting to wake up. It's, it's the Brandon Strucker walkaway movement happening on steroids. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's it's actually interesting if you look at some of the data that's out there. Um, you know, so I'm going to talk about black voters specifically. Black voters under the age of 40 are far more independent than over the age of 40. Um, you know, there's, there is definitely a movement afoot amongst black voters where, listen, they've heard the promises from Joe Biden for far too long. I actually sent out a tweet last night while he was speaking, and I, was, and I said essentially that the Democrat platform uh, for president is in the teleprompter because I've heard these same promises in, 20, in 2016, in 2012, in 2008. It, I ran out of characters, but I could have said in 2004 and in 2000. Like, I've heard this before. Um, and frankly, if he was going to be the leader that we needed, he had 47 years in Washington to get it done. What has he done? The second part is, is that, you know, Joe Biden is one of the architects of the 1994 crime bill, which has had, has, which has had negative impacts on many people living in urban communities without question. And so you're, you're the question you're looking at yourself and you can see it, even how the, the entire DNC convention was, 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 was formulated, they're talking about how we're, the Democrats are the light and Donald Trump is the darkness and we were fighting for the soul of America and we need a, a president who, who has empathy. And I'm thinking, and I'm watching this, and I'm like, I don't, you know, with all due respect to those guys, I don't want my best friend being president. I want somebody who's effective at running the nation being president. And so you don't have to like everything. But you have to like results. And so if you're a, result, a result-oriented person, I think younger voters are far more result-oriented and don't get caught up in this cult of personality of, oh, he's such an empathetic leader. I just like this person. Like that stuff, you, if you want to sp- spend time with somebody personally, vote for that. But I know I want somebody who has a track record of success, demonstrated track record of getting things done. And so you say what you want. Donald Trump has been one of the most effective presidents in the history of the country, bar none. Look at what he campaigned on and look at what has actually happened. And those are the results, I think, the American people. Well, you have a huge point here because the media is not reporting on the results. They are so far in the tank with the left and with the Democratic Party. They're not reporting the successes he has had and how he has moved our country forward. You know, if you just take a look at the White House webpage and their little mini press releases saying, all right, Donald Trump signed this into law or Donald Trump passed this into an executive order. And the benefit the nation has uh, uh, reaped from what he is doing. But this is all kept quiet. The media, that's not their narrative. That's not going to help the identity politics of the Democratic Party get another Nancy Pelosi and AOC or whatever elected. That's not, that's not going to keep them in power. I agree, and I think that, you know, we're at a new age in politics. I think, number one, people overall realize they can't trust news. Let, let's start there. And most news isn't even news. It's opinion. 
And I think voters recognize that immediately now. The second big thing is the president has been smart in the fact that he uses Twitter to his advantage. I mean, he makes sure he's driving news cycles as opposed to letting the media decide and dictate what we're going to talk about, what we're not going to talk about. The third thing is, is that Joe Biden has never had to debate anybody like this. So what's Joe Biden going to talk about? He's going to try to run out and talk about Charlottesville, which even if you look at what the president said, his statement was accurate and correct. Um, but instead of talking about his policy failures, the things he has not done, the areas where Donald Trump has succeeded. But the fourth way is, is that social media has really changed the game. You can push messages to people in a way that you never really could before, where you had to rely on the, the mainstream media. There's so many different avenues to get information to people. And also people are deciding to go to, to sift through information for themselves. So, yes, does the media still have sway? Yes, they do. But I think you have a president, frankly, who people already know right now that the media is not on his side. So people inherently know this now, even in a way they didn't really know in 2016. They know it now. And so I think the president's going to have a golden opportunity to make his case. We as a party, we're going to make our case for the president. And I think at the end of the day, the voters are going to see it our way. You know, we've got this Black Lives Matter movement. Every four years, when it comes around to the election cycle, they rear their ugly head. And we are now learning that George Soros is is throwing millions upon millions of dollars into it to keep it propped up. But I always ask this question. If Black Lives Matter so much, why are they not protesting outside of abortion clinics? Oh, because they have a political agenda. Their political agenda is based on Marxism. Let's be clear. Their political agenda relies on people like Bernie Sanders and AOC being in levels of political influence. If their agenda was a conservative agenda, they would be doing the things that you talked about. And not just at Planned Parenthood, they would be holding rallies and marches in the streets of Chicago and Los Angeles and New York, um, to to be frank. You know, Little Rock, Arkansas, Flint, Michigan. You know, Detroit, Michigan, all these places where, yeah, we do have major issues with black-on-black crime. They have a political agenda. And I think this is important to understand because the name of their organization is a sentiment that virtually all Americans agree with. All Americans agree with that sentiment. But the organization has a political agenda that is antithetical to the American agenda because they want to bring about a, a, a Marxist utopia. They don't want to maintain a constitutional republic with separation, with separation of powers, where the, individual is the, where the individual and the individual's family is the driving force behind success. And so that's the, that's the bigger differential right there. That's why they're not interested in what Planned Parenthood is doing. No, the kids know better and the parents are stupid. That's the attitude they have. So, you know, you brainwash the kids with whatever problem you want to feed them. And you spit it out, and you've got yourself a Democratic voter. Critical thinking no longer exists in our school system, which is something that you support the uh, school choice. One of the things we're finding, parents are finally learning about what is actually going on behind those doors in the public schools. And I think that when our society fully opens back up, which it's starting to, the parents are not going to be putting a lot of these kids back in public schools. So with school choice, How does Florida work it, and how would you take that to the national stage? Well, in Florida, one of the things we did uh, last legislative session or the session before, I can't remember right now, is we 
created a, fa a family empowerment scholarship. It's actually publicly funded dollars that get, provide a scholarship for a child to go to any school that they want. Now, we started that scholarship with only about 14,000 recipients, so it's still quite small in our state. We have about 2.8 million children who are in uh, public schools or charter schools, some com in, th in that combination, about 2.8 million children. So we're starting small, but the building blocks are to be able to give a parent the purchasing power in education. You see, all a parent wants, they just want to make sure that their child is getting every academic resource they can in order to build a transformative life. That's what parents are looking for. If you give parents that purchasing power to choose the environment they go to, then schools can't have this indoctrination mindset. They can't have a culture which is geared towards unions as opposed to students. And so that's why I totally support that. I think in, in, the, in, in America today, what we have to really do. Oh, we just lost our caller. Curtis, we just lost him. Ah, uh, what a shame. Because he's so interesting, and, and I'm think I, I'm praying that he does win the seat. He is so logical, so even keeled. This is what we need to go into Congress. So hopefully he'll call back in the last few minutes and realize that he he missed it. Because uh, one of the things he also tackles in his platform. Oh, here he's back again. Hey, here we go. Byron, I'm sorry, sorry about that. Off sorry about that. <laughs> but you're, you're talking about what we need to do with the kids. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, fam, uh, family empowerment is, is critical. I think if you have that, then school districts won't be able to be so union focused. They won't, they won't be able to because a school district is like any other business in America. They want market share. They want, and so school districts right now have dominant market share in education. If we have a true economy in education where parents can make that decision for themselves, then you'll see education become child-centered again knowledge will become the most, the most important driver in the choice of a school, not zip code. And so, you know, the ability to see, well, my children do well at this school and ch children suffer at this school, that'll be the driving force. And so that's what we need. I mean, we're, we're in the information age in America, but yet we're still using an academic model for the most part that was built um, at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. And so you've got to have a true economy in education. School choice does that. The benefits far just exceed indoctrination. It helps every child get a transformative education. A transformative education is what drives our industries. It's what drives the innovation of our nation. It's what drives people to be able to be their best, their best selves based upon the strengths that, they, that God has blessed them with. Well, you know, we're seeing the failure in the public school system, especially when the kids get to higher learning, college or university, because they're having to those colleges and universities are no longer teaching just only college courses. They have to go back to high school level courses and teach these kids the basics they need to succeed in college. So it, it makes no sense. We must secure our schools, our school system and school choice to, because we're losing whole segments of, of our society and whole segments of generations are being lost because they're not being educated properly. And I'm talking like an idiot. I'm stumbling over my own words. Forgive me, because I get so angry when I think about how these kids are not learning. Did we lose Byron again? Yep. No, no, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay. Can you no, hear me? I, yeah, I, we got you. Because my generation, you were taught that once you left high school, you were able to go out into the business world and get a job. Kids can't even do that today. 
Correct. Correct. And so that's why, you know, education reform is one of these things that we have to continue to push. I think what COVID-19, if there was ever, ever going to be a positive side of COVID-19, what it has shown parents across the country, number one, is frankly how little their kids are actually learning in school. That's number one. And the second thing it's really taught them is it's given them a complete window into, well, you know what, maybe I can find a, another thing. When you have school districts who are basically saying that the teachers are going on strike because of COVID and how they don't feel comfortable going back in the classroom, well, tell that to somebody that works in a supermarket. Tell that to somebody who's worked, in, who's worked on a farm who were tagged as essential workers, they had to be in these services. So if teaching is not an essential service, I don't know what is. I think parents need to be given that opportunity to make these decisions for themselves. As long as you have that being the driver, then we're going to see a complete shift in our educational framework. Well, you know, says, well, why don't we do teaching online? But kids, we're social animals. Kids need to learn how to interact socially. They need to learn how to interpret body language and facial expressions and voice tones. You don't get that online. You get that when you interact with other fellow students and adults. Adults need to help you adjust to society. Online's not going to do that. Agreed. Totally agree with you. Yeah, what I was going to add, I was just going to add that once we get Trump back in, we're going to have to do something about the curriculum in schools and at least begin with the state, you know, state-funded colleges and universities because all they're doing right now is turning out little Marxists and socialists, as we know. And these are the very people we see out there tearing up neighborhoods and becoming a part of groups like Antifa and Black Lives Matter. So I think we need a whole revolution when it comes to education. I think Trump is going to do that in his last four years. I agree, but it's it's this is now more than the president. This takes governors because you got to understand there is a limit to federal power. The 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 one issue with the federal government, especially since Woodrow Wilson was president, is that it has grown. It's been a behemoth that has grown every single year and starting to amass powers that it was never granted under the Constitution. And it does that actually through budgets and continuing resolutions. All this money that gets sent to states and localities, they come with strings attached. So even though the federal government providing, quote-unquote, financial support, what they also are doing through, through, frankly, dollars is that they're basically putting in rules of what they want to see for the money that they're sending. Well, that's Washington taking authority. It shouldn't be taking. I think the key thing is you got to have governors, start, governors and states have to start reasserting their authority in education about what they're going to do. I think the federal role needs to diminish because, listen, we, you know, Donald Trump is president now. And so, yeah, as conservatives and as Republicans, we want these things to occur. But what happens when he's not president? What happens with the next president? What happens with the president after that? These are the reasons why the federal government should not be involved in these issues. This is something that states should be managing with their governors, something where the people have more control in their state as opposed to, as opposed to the nation. Right, let me put it to you this way. I don't want the voters of California deciding what kids are learning in Florida. I want the voters of Florida to decide what kids are voting in Florida. I want our governor and I want our state legislator, the people who are elected by our citizens, to decide that. I don't want, I don't want Nancy Pelosi having a say in that. 
Byron, uh, we've run out of time. With you, but I got my next guest already lined up with you. But people can find your campaign website by going to Byron Daniel. Oh, John, not Daniels. I always want to say Daniels. I don't know why. ByronDonalds.com, and you're running for Florida District 19. Uh, we're going to have to have you back on the show because there's so many more topics I wanted to cover with you, and we ran out of time. So I'll get a hold of uh, Madeline and get you back on the show. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thank you, and God bless for the hard work you're doing. All right, ByronDonalds.com. I want to welcome from the Heritage Foundation back on the show. Always a lot of fun to talk with Mike Gonzalez. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you today? Hey, Annie. How are you? I'm just having a blast today. I can't talk worth a crap, but I'm managing anyway. Uh, one of those days. Man, there's so much to talk about, and I I have a list of stuff to talk about you, uh, talk with you about. I don't even know where to start. How about let's starting with that DNC convention and the identity politics that they were they were banding around out there. Well, as you know, we I can't uh, really talk party politics, but um, yeah, I mean, I, look, I expect uh, the, the Republican Party to also delve into some identity politics. It's it's it's, it's all around us now. Uh, every time, by by that, let me explain what I mean by that. Every time we 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 have the president or, or, or Speaker Pelosi or anyone say, and I want to do this for Hispanics, and I want to do this for African Americans, and I want to do this for Asian Americans, every time they do that, whatever their good intentions, they're participating in identity politics, uh, and 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 both parties do it. Unfortunately, what I try to do with my book, The Plot to Change America, is try to get people off of this. Try to get people to stop dividing us into groups. Try to stop get people to not think that we're divided into groups, but that we're all Americans. We have, I mean, people have different origins. They they celebrate that. I, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's healthy, actually. I think celebrating St. Patrick's Day is, is healthy. I think celebrating Juneteenth is a, is a very good thing in the country. But beyond that, dividing Americans as if we're not individuals and we're not families, we're not communities, not communities. The way to see even the word community, community now has changed its meaning. It's it's not something geographically bound. It's not something that has to do with the block where you live and the stores nearby. When people say, "What do you? What, is, what do people in your community think?" Uh, the first thing I think of is, "What do people in my town think?" But actually, some of them may mean. What do the Hispanic people think? Which is really bizarre because I'm Cuban American and I don't really even I don't live with a lot of other Cuban Americans. So you know to 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 think in terms of a community. So so this is what I'm talking about. This is every we we're now been doing it now for three decades. We had to stop getting away from it. So so unfortunately both parties do it. I'm trying to tell leaders in both parties stop it. This is not going to end well. Uh, you have a really great point because they assume because you are Hispanic or because you're black or because you're Asian or because you're white, you group things. It's a homogenous policy among that ethnic group or that racial group. And we're finding that there's a huge kickback. There's a lot of people that are turning around and simply because I'm black, it does not mean I vote Democrat. Simply because I'm white, I'm not going to vote for the old white guy. Uh, simply because I'm female doesn't mean that I'll vote Democrat. And our, our political sides, both sides, as you say, throw us into this group. 
we've got to go after the black vote. No, why don't you go after the American vote, the unhyphenated American vote? And, and I think the younger generation is starting to get that because they're pushing back. You go, I mean, politicians need to go into every neighborhood of both parties. They need to, they need to talk to everybody. And one of the bad things that we have done, actually, because of identity politics, is that now we have congressional districts that that are you know that can be a majority of a, a, a community of interest. So that can be a majority African American or majority quote unquote Hispanic, and that is something that because of the way the Voting Rights Act has been interpre- interpreted, so people so members of Congress have less reason to go to people outside to talk to all Americans to try to convince all Americans of their ideas. Uh, this is yet another reason why we should stop thinking in terms of race. It's, co- it's unconstitutional. There's a guy named uh, uh, Chris uh, Caldwell. I know him. He's actually a friend of mine. He's just written a book. Uh, and, and in his book, he says that what we have now is a rival constitution. We have the Constitution of 87 that the, the framers wrote, uh, and then we have the Constitution that has emerged over the last um, – three decades or so, where people, if, if, if you can claim to be from this category or that category, you can benefit from benefits, whether it's in college admissions, whether it's in, in uh, hiring, whether it's in contracting, um, and, and, and these are real, real financial benefits. The other problem is, the, the problem is that the Supreme Court, you know, in, in a string of wrongful decisions, has said this is okay, this is constitutional, to use it as a, as a factor in combination with others. But that is a very clear violation of, 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 the, of the 14th Amendment, and it is a very clear violation of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 in the case of college admissions. So I think we need to enforce the Constitution, the Equal Protection Clause, we need to go back to – and I'm actually, by the way, Annie, I think that future Supreme Courts uh, are going to – the next time the racial preferences of affirmative action arrive at the Supreme Court, I can't see them surviving. You know, it's funny because I hear about white privilege all the time, and I keep on going, well, uh, how come I haven't benefited from it? Uh, I, when I had a business, I was denied a small business loan because at that time I was not of the right ethnic variety. Um, when I attempted to get uh, college uh, uh, grants or scholarships, sorry, you're the wrong skin tone, and even though you're female, you've got to be black or Hispanic. Uh, when I applied for uh, a position as a police officer in the county I lived in, I was like, yeah, you're taking females, right? But you're not black or Hispanic. So if there is white privilege, I haven't benefited from it. Well, I mean, this idea that we have, again, it divides society into castes. It ends badly, by the way. This always ends badly. I was very, uh, very uh, filled me with hope that the, uh, the Justice Department last week uh, said that what Yale University does in its admissions process is, is illegal, and it's told, it's ordered Yale to stop uh, using race in its admissions process. But I, what I was particularly hardened by is what uh, Assistant District uh, Assistant Attorney General Eric Dryband said, and he said, "quote unquote, unlawfully dividing Americans into racial and ethnic blocks fosters stereotypes, bitterness, and division." 
unquote. I think that puts it really, really well, and and it, it makes me think that there are enough people in the Trump administration who understand what a, a, a looming danger this is. Um, now, uh, it, one of the things that uh, this is one of the, re- the reasons this is done, by the way, and I I, I, I talk about this and I detail it in my book, The Plot to Change America, is that this is being done on purpose. It's being done on purpose to change America. It is being because activists and and ideologues are constantly trying to instill uh, the members of these categories. By the way, these categories in many ways are artificial. They were created by the federal government. They have no basis in culture or biology or anything else. But but what the ideologues and the activists do, and, and this happens all the time, Annie. This happens. You hear this. I just heard it last week uh, from Maria Teresa Kumar, the CEO of Voto Latino. What these activists do is instill into the members of these categories feelings of resentment and, and victimhood, uh, grievances. This is grievance mongering for the purpose of making them feel like they are victims of the American system. And, they, and, 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 and the next step to that is the American system needs to be changed, needs to be transformed. And that is why I called my book The Plot to Change America not because there there is a meeting uh, that takes place on Thursday nights in Brooklyn, New York, or, or Cambridge, Massachusetts, or, or Madison, Wisconsin, in which people actually plot, but but that people, everybody in 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 in, in uh, among these elites, they understand this. They but they they say it openly. They say they're doing this. I'm in the midst of writing a piece, quoting people saying they're doing this. They're instilling into members of groups grievances. So that, for the purpose of changing the country, that is what you, your listeners right now need to understand. They need to wake up to this because this is very dangerous. That it is. You know, if, if you create a victim, then you create yourself a potential voter because now you're going to pander to that victim. And then that person feels entitled to more benefits of life than the person they perceive as the aggressor. And the aggression could very simply be uh, the flag I wear uh, or carry, um, my ethnicity, my gender, um, because I live on a certain street. Oh, no, you've got to give me your house. I'm with Black Lives Matter. Now, you've got to exit your house, and I'm taking over your house, which they did in Seattle. They stood outside privately owned homes and demanded they get turned over to the protesters. This is crazy. Yeah, there was a woman from Black Lives Matter in Chicago last week who was videotaped saying, yeah, no, looting is fine because it's reparations. Look, when I say this is done all the time and the, and the people who do it are quite open about it, I'm going to I, – I watched and transcribed a debate that took place uh, just a few days ago between Nicole Hannah-Jones of the New York Times, Alicia Garza of Black Lives Matter, and, and, uh, and Maria Teresa Kumar of Voto Latino. <clears throat> Let me re- indulge me, if you will. I'm going to read to you a couple of lines of Maria Teresa Kumar. I am quoting now, Annie, okay? Quote, okay. the challenge with the work that I do at Voto Latino is that I can't get people agitated because oftentimes they don't know the great harm that has happened under the structures that we have been raised by. But once they start understanding it and recognizing it, they act and react and fight and run for office. So what she's saying is, is that she sees it as the mission of Voto Latino to inculcate uh, grievances 
and resentment against the country they immigrated to, uh, in, 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 into voters who are of Latin American uh, origin. This is um, this is unbelievable. That that, but they, she said this. I did not make this up. This is exactly what she said. They openly convincing people who have immigrated here that the very conditions that attracted them here in the first place are harmful and have made them victims for the purpose to have them change the economic and cultural system that, that we have. Your listeners have to understand this. You know, it, it reminds me of a story that was in my local paper just about two weeks ago, maybe. And there was this rise now to take down certain monuments to change the names of places. Now, I live in the South, and there's a lot of communities that call themselves something plantation or that plantation. There was an article in the newspaper that this woman, who happens to be black American, has been living in this neighborhood for something like more than 20 years, raising her family there. And she finally realized she's being victimized because the community she lives in is named something plantation. So she didn't realize the implications of the word plantation her entire life. Raises her family there, but now she's victimized. This is the mentality that you and I are looking at. Yeah, and that, that's what the reason why I wrote my book, The Plot to Change America, because I, I detail exactly uh, what has happened, <clears throat> who did it, how they did it, but especially why they did it. And, and, and the reason I do this, and I'm, I'm forensic about it, is so people can then and, – and by the way, I have hundreds of footnotes. Everybody can go back to the footnotes, and I quote mostly leftists. I try not to quote conservatives, I quote the left, because the left is quite open about what they want to do and what they're doing. So I'm very happy to quote them. Uh, so, so, so that's the reason I wrote The Plot to Change America. It's selling well, unfortunately, because I say unfortunately, because it's selling well because we see what is happening today in Portland or Chicago or Seattle or, or, or Richmond or New York, and it is all a consequence of the things that have been done now for decades yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing. Um, I have up there the link to the Heritage Foundation, uh, which has your book up there on there, and they can watch a small video as you explain this. Uh, you had a, uh, you did it with Michael Knowles. Michael Knowles, and I love his book, The Reason to Vote for Democrats. <laughs> it's all blank. Uh, but something else that you've done also, and you look at the violence that's going on here in the United States. You recently wrote this article uh, with... Lori Rees, uh, Steve Bucci, uh, Charles Stimson, Zach Smith, and Catherine Borka titled The 14-step action plan for stopping targeted violence in American cities. And I found it a very, very interesting read. You know, we've got, we're, we've got law enforcement agencies stepping back and allowing this violence to occur. And you're telling us, stop doing it. Yeah, I mean, that's the... Uh uh, that's what's happening. Uh, first of all, most Americans are not seeing what's happening in Portland uh, because they, uh, they, 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 the media does not allow it to happen. The media doesn't put it on TV. Um, so, 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 and, and when they do, they say it's mostly peaceful uh, protesters. You know, this is this is. By the way, what, what does the phrase "mostly peaceful" mean? 
if if people are peacefully protesting for an hour and then spend 50 minutes learning and, and looting, that is not a peaceful protest. Um, so 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 what we try to do is is point out what has happened uh, and, and what can be done. You know how the, the how and the important thing here is for the federal government, the state, and local authorities to work together. This is important. Uh, you hear from the, the Trump administration that, you know, the, for example, in the case of Portland, uh, the state of Oregon and the city of Portland just did not want to cooperate. But that, that is obviously very, you know, very worrisome. Uh, these violent riots in Portland and other cities across the country must stop. Um, and by the way, the, the, the violent groups have hijacked what were originally peaceful protests, you know, and and and, and there was real serious outrage uh, at the murder of George Floyd. But what is happening now is completely divorced from that. It is an attempt to change, to transform the culture of the country. That that is so very true. And you look at Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of uh, Chicago. Uh, she's not defending her city, but the block she lives on, that's got enough security. And what got me, Michael, I watched her press conference. She defended herself, her policy of defending her home and no one else's. And she dared anyone to challenge her decision. This is what we're facing, that the lack of reality to some of these people's logic. Yeah, I mean, she's uh, she's coming across as the Marie Antoinette of Chicago, actually. You know, it was, I mean, where do the ironies stop? First of all, she, she you know, the people who, who defend these riots always say, well, people have the First Amendment, they have, to, they have, have the right to exercise the First Amendment. Well, um, why, why does this not apply to Mayor Lightfoot? Uh, then the people who say, well, we need to dismantle the police, well, who who is defending Mayor Lightfoot's uh, block? Uh, so so, so, so the, the ironies, and, and I think that they must be blind to their own, to the ironies of what's happening. And the press is not pointing this out. By the way, NPR, National Public Radio, which you and I pay for, even though it is a completely progressive outfit, we're still forced to pay for it. Uh, and and, and none, of, none of our political class will ever do anything about it because they lack the courage to, to, to defund NPR. NPR interviewed Mayor Lightfoot. Didn't ask any questions about this. Not at all. Like It, it, was, it was really the red carpet treatment. You know, we look at what's going on with these riots going on, and in this 14-step thing, you break down exactly what BLM Global Network is and it's ties to Marxism, uh, where we have colors and bars that state that they are the purpose is for them to train Marxists. If you go on the Black Lives Matter website, you, they tell you exactly what they want to do. They want to break down the family unit. Uh, they want to just tear apart the very fabric of our nation. And in this, you outline how it's tied to the Tide Center. Um, it's also tied to uh, George Soros and how he's piling money into it. Uh, there's also uh, Act Blue. So when you t- turn around and donate money to the Black Lives Matter movement, to the BLM, 
A lot of that money is then funneled over to Act Blue, which then funnels that money into the, the uh, Biden campaign. It, it is such an incestuous circle, and it's so corrupt, and no one is calling it out except for you in this. Yeah, the, uh, by the way, Jack Dorsey, um, the, the CEO of Twitter, <clears throat> just gave um, 10 million dollars to Ibram X. Kendi Center of BU University with no strings attached. Um, and, and, and Kendi is one of these so-called anti-racist uh, uh, trainers who actually, you know, they use a lot of racist uh, you know, concepts in their training because oftentimes they say that punctuality and hard work and 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 and, and, and delayed gratification and the use of reason are, are are white traits that is so toxic i can't believe that anybody says this that people get paid to say this because that is completely untrue and toxic okay uh you know love of reading is not a white thing and and, and these so-called anti-racist trainers say this and jack dorsey of twitter just gave 10 million dollars to one of the top people who do this, you know, Kendi. But, uh, but, but no, you're quite right. Um, this is uh, this is really what they want to do. Garza and and in uh, in Colores, as you said, they don't hide the fact that they're Marxist. They've, you know, at least Garza, at least Colores said that both her and Garza were Marxist, trained Marxists. When you go back where they trained, that's true. Uh, and they are very open about the fact that they want to change the entire system. Um, they want to change, you know, the, the, the American uh, economic system. They don't like. They say Kennedy says that capitalism is racist, and you cannot be if you're a capitalist, you cannot be an anti-racist. So none of them like capitalism. So what do they like? They must like the opposite, which is um, Marxism. You know. Hey, something else. I just found it actually. Something else. Garza said. Things oh, yeah. like renaming holidays and removing statues are really part of a culture-changing strategy that I think it's important. So just so people understand this, it's not just renaming holidays. It's not just removing statues. It's part of a culture-changing strategy. That is what's taking place under our nose. I had a guest on earlier that quoted Marx where basically if you take away a person's heritage and history, you can change anything. So it's a Marxist tactic to remove what makes us as Americans great, knowing our history, where we came from, and where we can go forward. If we take that all away from us as individuals, then we are so pliable that Marxism is the next step. That would be the next logical step, which is what we're trying to fight. You know, I'm I'm kind of curious that you wrote in here, well, I don't know if you personally wrote in there, um, that arrangements have been allowed that the network, the BLM network, actually escapes public scrutiny on how it spends its funds. You know, I thought if you start a nonprofit, you're supposed to be tracking every single dollar where it goes and where it came from. Yeah, that's the thing is that <clears throat> so BLM uh, is a project of, quote-unquote, a project. It was a project of Thousand Currents which is a, a, a funder of the hard left. Uh, they are a 501c3, and they must reveal you know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of stuff. Uh, the, the, the vice chair of, of the board, by the way, uh, was Susan Rosenberg, 
who was a former uh, former member of the of the Weather Underground, was a convicted terrorist, spent many years in prison, was finally um, you know pardoned by uh, by by Clinton in his last day in office, and then she was put she was made the, the second the, the the vice chair of the uh, of the board of a thousand currents. So Black Lives Matter was drawing so much attention because of this that it actually changed sponsors in the middle of July. It is now a, a, a project of, again, the same thing, quote-unquote, of the Tide Center. The Tide Center is another funder of the hard left, but supposedly they don't have a convicted terrorist on, on their board. <laughs> oh, People can find you at Heritage Foundation where they can go and get your book uh, and learn more about good American solid values at the Heritage Foundation. Yeah, I want to thank you for joining us, Mike. It's always so much fun. And you write such wonderful articles and so informative. You know, this is the only way we can get the message out. Shows like this and websites such as the Heritage Foundation to finally tell the truth about what's going on out there. Well, Annie, thanks a lot for the opportunity you always give me to get the word out. I can be found, my book can be found at heritage.org slash the plot or you can go to amazon and look for the plot to change america and buy the book directly there uh or you can find me on twitter uh, at gundisalvas g-u-n-d-i-s-a-l-v-u-s um thank you again for what you do and thank you for having me on well god bless you for the hard work you do sir and you're always welcome back and i i know you can be back many many times here <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot Eddie. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. You too. All right. Uh, that's it for all we got for today, Curtis. Um, we've got coming up next week. Um, what the heck do I have here? Okay, here we go. Next week, oh, my goodness. Uh, we've got Clarence McKee. He's coming in. Uh, you've got your friends Bobby and Kyan Michael, Blacks for Trump. And then we're also going to have uh, Dr. Paul Nathanson. He's the author of Spreading Misandry, the Teaching of Contempt for Men in Popular Culture. Um, and then, of course, again, another Heritage Foundation. The following week on the 4th, I believe we should have uh, Kurt Schlichter back on. And then the following week after that is 9-11. Uh, we're going to have my friend Mike Cutler on, and whether or not we do the entire show with Mike or not, but it's going to be Patriot Day because 9-11 is Patriot Day, remembering 9-11 and its lessons with Mike Cutler. So we got ourselves a lot of good stuff uh, lined up, Kurt, Curtis. That sounds like a full schedule. An exciting absolutely. one. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but that's all we got for today. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Um, our website, which is the name of the show, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Uh, and uh, I don't know anything else, Curtis, for the last few seconds. <laughs> Everyone have a safe weekend. All right. And, and if don't you see me, uh, don't forget to watch the convention Monday. Uh, coming up, the RNC convention is going to be more exciting than the DNC. And if you see me next week with two black eyes, that means our rally to back the blue and first responders <laughs> got rather lively. So I'll be out there rallying back the blue and first responders uh, tomorrow. Wish me luck and say prayers. Until then. I say good night and God bless. Good night.